Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, July 24, 843-661-0937. We're shorthanded today. The Royal Rev of Radio is set to make his way back down to Florida to visit his mom, um, who is not doing the best in the world. I'll just leave it there. His mom, I mean, we've... Um, Good morning, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. We, How are we, you? We've talked a bit about um, about her situation. She's had a lot of birthdays and being diagnosed with a terminal disease. And you can imagine um, that gets extremely complicated. And Rev was informed, I think Friday, maybe Thursday night or Friday morning, that he needed to, um, to get down to Central Florida where his mom lives. So that's where he is. I'll let him divulge to the listeners um, however much he chooses in regards to um, to her condition and um how long he'll be down at about so it's just uh josh and i josh you got your talking shoes on today i do okay because we got a lot of things to talk about um today 843-661-0937 is our number um this jason aldean story has really become um quite the part of what are you saying josh i'm sorry i just i may not be able to talk for two seconds i'm doing some mat work okay Sorry, so sorry about okay. that. Okay, get, get get your work done, and uh, and tell me when you're available. How about that? There, there you go. Um, but but the Jason Aldean story has become um, I don't know, kind of a uh, I don't say a riveting story, but but a story that a lot of people are interested in. Um, I actually posted something on Facebook late Friday afternoon, and and I think there are certain things. I mean, I think I even included this in the uh, in the Facebook post. If I start talking about the Pythagorean theorem. Pay me no attention. If I start talking about campaign finance law, pay me even less attention. If there's a number less than zero, pay me zero attention on the Pythagorean theory, less than that on, uh, on campaign finance law. But I do feel I have a pretty good grasp on small-town America and the, uh, the way of life, the value system um, that it operates or functions on. Um, I'm from small town USA. I try to be a bit sarcastic and, and humorous. I own multiple muscle shirts. I've eaten potted meat and saltines more than you can imagine. Um, uh, slept on the infield at Darlington, uh, you know, uh, uh, play kickball at a school where a dude got bit by a snake retrieving the ball for the kickball field. Um, and it was not a kickball field. It was a, it was the corner of a football field that we turned into a kickball field. Um, so, so I do believe that I have a pretty good understanding of what Jason Aldean meant. Um, he did a concert Saturday night. Uh, yes, Saturday night in Cincinnati where he was very unapologetic, um, spoke of his patriotism, his love of country. Um, now the ladies at The View, the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times, uh, I doubt they've ever set foot in rural America or small town USA, but they're going to lecture to um, you know the Americans who aren't quite as woke and politically correct as they are about um about what Aldine really meant and i'm talking about really r capital r capital e capital a capital l l y uh what he really meant forget the the hayseeds the hillbillies and the and the rednecks they um you know they think they know just because they grew up in some of those sorts of settings but i stand by my comment from saturday um rural america excuse me friday rural america is a very pronounced part of Americana has been needs to always be um, there there are fundamental differences in the upbringing of one group of people juxtaposed to another I'm not saying one is better than the other but there are certain values and 
and and worldviews that are held more closely in some of the uh, some of the rural provinces around around our country. And I think Al Dean is basically saying that I'm going to you know try that in a small town. Um, and the word I used Friday is the word I stand by: permissiveness. There seems to be a a permissiveness by some of these um, liberal governments, uh, some of these uh, progressive politicians in some of these uh, cities and states that have embraced the sort of mindset that allows people to go unpunished for committing crimes. Um, and it just wouldn't fly in small town USA. I mean, that, that would not fly in small town America. I, I'm just convinced of that. There would be some sort of different response. Now we can argue how aggressive that response would be, um, how much controversy it would um, drum up, uh, what sort of confrontation would ensue. Don't have any idea about any of that, but, but I do believe uh, well, I mean, I'm not, I don't believe I am. I am. I mean, I don't get sick and tired much because I think I understand the game. I mean, I play the game a bit. So I understand uh, the media and, and some of the commentary offered by the media. It's to provoke at times. It's to get clicks or hits or views or whatever. Um, but I'm just something about this story that, that resonates with me because it is uh, kind of part of my DNA. I mean, it's where I come from. And I do think I have a pretty good grasp and understanding of what Al Dean is trying to say and what the media is arguing uh, is to portray. And Charles, I think, said last week very accurately that the um, the lyrics of the song, uh, not not as offensive as the optic, the optic of the courthouse that had, you know, I mean, it was a part of racism. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But I just, you, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that Jason Al Dean or somebody who produced that video chose that courthouse because they knew in a historical contextual way there was a lynching there or there was some sort of, of racism associated with that. That would be insanity. But I mean, that would be insane for Al Dean to do that intentionally. I, I just think they saw a courthouse. They envisioned the way the backlighting could be done. It looked like a great backdrop for a pretty aggressive and politically incorrect country music song about some of these different ways of life and different ways of, uh, of responding. So, um, and I, I, I don't think I've ever had, but one Facebook post shared over a hundred times. And the Facebook post I did Friday, I think was shared 120 or 25 times. And that means people relate to it. I mean, it resonates, uh, with others. And, um, and you know, I just, once again, it's kind of personal to me because it's where I come from. And people at The View, people at The Washington Post, people at The New York Times trying to explain to America, you know, what those people in the small towns mean when they say these things and what the lyrics imply, you know, how they are aggressive. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a very aggressive song. It's politically incorrect without question, but it does not in any way, shape or form condone or promote racism or violence for that matter. It basically says, you know, Criminals were treated a certain way in urban America. They would be treated very differently um, in rural America, whether law enforcement was a part of it or not. Uh, and I'm not talking about vigilante justice. I'm certainly not encouraging nor supporting that. But it's just kind of interesting that that song has taken. I guess it would be um, the convergence of country music and American politics. Everything gets political uh, here, there, and yonder. So, um, and, and the only thing, Josh, uh, the, the only reason it's important to me is that, that's where I'm from. 
I mean, right. you know, if I'm not saying, you know, if you're, um, I mean, it's kind of Oki from Muskogee meets 2023. I mean, I went back and listened several times over the weekend, Merle Haggard's anthem, Oki from Muskogee. We don't burn no draft cards down on Main Street. We don't let our hair grow long and shaggy. You know, like the, I mean, it's kind of a, it, it's just a, um, it's a pronouncement of pride in small town and rural America. And, you know, I stand by that and I don't want to, I don't want to beat that dead horse over and over and over again, but it was something that I felt, um, needed to be said. I, I think, uh, you know, small town America is, is kind of standing with Jason. I think America in general is standing with, uh, with, with Jason Aldean in regards to, um, the attack by the media. And I mean, we'll get to that in just a couple of seconds, but I just wanted to say, um, you know, the, the, the song speaks for itself. I don't think Al Dean should apologize for any lyric in that song. Um, you interpret that song however you choose to, but but it's a bit insulting for someone who knows nothing about small town America, nothing about rural culture, uh, to to imply that they know exactly what Jason Al Dean meant when when he said this or showed this as the as the optic and visual. When I just don't believe uh, they know anything of what they're talking about, and I like defending the home turf. If given an opportunity, I want to take advantage of that. So, um, you know, God bless rural America. God bless small town USA. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I think this is actually a good example of how, you know, we constantly talk about, oh, this is um, bias from the left. This is, look, this is their hypocrisy. I think that it's gotten to the point where they're just trying to suppress any opposition to the degree that it's like they're refusing the culture, kind of kind of like what you're getting at, where in small-town America, you know, Jason Aldean is just saying, look how crazy things have gotten. This would never happen where I'm from. And they're constantly gaslighting and saying how insensitive that is. And, like, so they're burning down cities. You're not even allowed to say that's weird. Yeah. and See, Josh, you're, you're hitting on what I've tried to argue for really a year the lack of debate right I mean, that there are very serious issues in america that deserve and i don't have all the answers you don't have all the answers all the answers aren't right of center i mean I, i'm not crazy enough to believe that the republican party if left to its own volition could solve all of america's problems because once again it's perfect and pure i mean i would never argue that i think the essence of america requires us to have debate and, and it's, I mean, it, does it have to be respectful? No, but it has to be sincere. I mean, I've got no problem with disrespectful debate. I mean, I don't like what you're standing for. You don't like what I'm standing for. But, but there has to be some sincerity and, and, and appreciating the way that I see things and a belief uh, of my own. I was thinking about, you know, are there any silver bullets? No. Are, are there any magic wands? No. But, but if I was given the opportunity, and, and I'll blame somebody for this because this is the first time I've done this, I think Barack Obama was an extremely radical American president. Radical and transformative. Barack Obama changed the social fabric of this nation. I mean, Barack Obama, because he was the first uh, elected African-American Ameri- you know, president, I mean, he was able to say things that, that most others can't say. Um, and, and he was a very radical liberal. He, he was not who he um, told the American people he was. He professed to be you know, a, a centrist. Remember, he ran, what we like to say in 08, Obama runs as someone defending uh, traditional marriage. I mean, he was opposed to same-sex marriage. 
But once Barack Obama infiltrated the federal government and began uh, making these major appointments, I, what, what I'm getting at is there is no silver bullet. There is no magic wand. But if Donald Trump gets elected in 2024, someone with a lot of time needs to go down a list of Biden, excuse me, of Obama appointees and hires and get rid of every one of those people. I mean, just get rid of, you, you'll get rid of some good people. I'm sure you are. I mean, there's no doubt you're going to get rid of, of some good and quality people. But if this person was put as a, let's say, a, um, a junior level management person at the Department of Commerce and they were hired by Barack Obama, fire that person. I, I just think he has so radicalized the mindset of, uh, of the American government. And, and I'm not saying it's all his fault. I mean, I'm not suggesting that uh, for a second, but, but he was an unbelievably transformative and radical American president, and he normalized things in, uh, in, in, in record time, things that normally would take a generation. And, you know, I mean, his legacy is that. Uh, I, I guess his legacy policy-wise would be the not so affordable care act. I mean, it would be the socializing of the healthcare industry in America, Obamacare. I mean, that would be his grand um, accomplishment. In other words, you know, liberals for a long, long, long time and many, many, many years wanted to uh, transform the health economy, the health uh, care economy from a private sector run. You know, I mean, it, it was always collaboration with Medicare, Medicaid. Um, some of the reimbursement, mean, there was always, it was kind of a, a quasi government run program anyway, but what Barack Obama wanted to do was socialize by that. I mean, younger, healthier people pay too much. So older, your unhealth, older, unhealthy people don't have to pay as much. I mean, that that's by definition, I mean, that, that passes redistribution and, and, and collectivism of I mean, that, that's socialism. And he successfully socialized the healthcare industry in America but, but not just that. I mean, when you look at where we are in America today, I, I read some over the weekend about the, um, the number of appointees that Obama and Holder put in the DOJ that are still there. I mean, they're politically, uh, they're, they're political activists. I mean, they have no interest in the rule of law. I mean, how do we advance an agenda? And I went back and read a good bit about, um, and we'll, we'll get into this probably in the 7 o'clock hour, but there's some similarities here. Uh, to Bill Clinton and Joe Biden. And I went back and looked at some dates because it mattered to me. January 26, 1998. You were born when, Josh? 97. Okay, so you a year old. Uh, you know, probably a little less than a year old. That's January of 1998. Um, one, there, there was a former president wagging his finger and saying, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. That, that was in January of 98. I thought it was March of 98, but I went back and checked. January 26, 1998. Uh, with his wife, Hillary Clinton, um, Bill Clinton, then president, wagged his finger at America, reporters in particular, and said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. And then the uh, the infamous blue dress shows up. Um, Clinton had to give, um, you know, a DNA sample, had to take blood samples to draw, uh, provide blood sample for DNA research or DNA testing, and, and then he was forced to admit to a grand jury that he did have inappropriate, I mean, here's his words, ready? Inappropriate, intimate contact with uh, with Vince Lewinsky. But when you look at what happened then, there was a complicit and competent DOJ, uh, the FBI, the media, I mean, they were not as organized and aligned as they are today. And, and I wonder 
would they have swept the blue dress under the rug, so to speak? I mean, if we live in this monolith today where, to your point, Josh, there is no debate. I mean, there's just no debate. I believe, and I could be wrong, I believe the truth about the Biden crime family is getting too big uh, to deny, too big to to hide. Um, but I'm not sure. I mean, I, and that's my discouragement. I'm not sure. In 1998, the DOJ was not in the tank. The FBI was not in the tank. Um, their, their approval, the, the public trustworthiness that, that people had of DOJ and FBI. I mean, nobody's ever, conservatives have hardly ever trusted the media because the media's never proven to be fair to conservatives. Uh, the old analogy, you know, the, the Yankees play every game at Fenway. Uh, the Gamecocks play every game at Death Valley. Tigers play every game in Williams-Brice. Uh, there's kind of a home-field advantage that Democrats have always had. And, and Republicans have always felt like, you know, when you're dealing with the media, you're playing on the road. I mean, you're just not going to get a fair, a fair shake. But it wasn't in the tank. And, and in, even in 1998, 25 years ago, in 1998, um, Bill Clinton lied. I mean, he wagged his finger, and he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Um, and then there was the revelation, once again, the blue dress, and the media got to work. And a grand jury was involved. I mean, Clinton had to appear before a grand jury. He was deposed. Uh, and, and, I mean, you know, the law worked. I'm not, I, I doubt very seriously the media enjoyed, you know, going after Bill Clinton. They would have much rather that been George H.W. Bush or George W. Bush or Bob Dole or whomever, uh, a Republican president, Donald Trump, uh, for sure here. But, but you know, it, we, we've got a, I mean, we've got a blockbuster of a story. And I want to really get into that. In the, uh, in the 7 o'clock hour about the Biden family, um, you got a guy named um, Devin Archer uh, who I think is going to appear before Congress and make some chilling um, accusations about the Bidens and, and how many times Joe Biden was intimately, directly involved with Hunter Biden's uh, business dealings. But, but I want to go back to what you said, Josh. In 98, we were going to have a debate. I mean, once there was a blue dress found, it didn't matter if it was a Democrat or Republican. Um, the, the the authoritative entities and institutions in America just just felt it, it, it was required of them to be fair-minded. We, we've got to investigate this now, guys. I mean, we've got a lady who's made this accusation, and now we have evidence. We've got a blue dress. I'm not sure what's going to happen. What We've got all this information, and I want to walk through this, and well, maybe do it before 7 o'clock. But, um... But, but whether it's rural America and, and you know, and, and urban America and, the, and the, you know, the different way they dealt with rioters and, 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 and you know, thuggery and all these other sorts of things, um, we, we've got to have this debate. What we've got to, I mean, somebody in a big American city owes to a business owner an explanation as to why you've legalized shoplifting because that's what they've done. I mean, they've legalized criminal activity in major American cities. And Al Dean says try that in my town i mean try right. loading up your shopping cart with um with skill saws in my local hardware store and see how that works out for you and so, so that's not racist that's not advocating violence I mean, that that's that's defending a way of life and a set of values that historically have been very important in america but you know the, the media and and I, and I go back to obama and once again, I don't have a magic uh, bullet. I don't, excuse me, uh, a magic wand, don't have a silver bullet. But I would, on day one, find out who Barack Obama hired 
in some of these prominent positions within our government, and I'd give them their pink slip. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937. Our number, someone's on the phone. Let's go there. We have Matt calling from Florence. Matt, you're live. Hey, guys. I, I was just calling. You were you were talking about the, the justice system and, uh, and does it uh, work. And it seems to work fine if you're a Republican. You'll get charged. You'll even get overcharged, you know. Like, they'll, they'll, they'll make things crimes that aren't actually crimes. But it, you have to basically beat them over the face with a, a gigantic wet salmon to get them to acknowledge that a Democrat's done anything wrong. I mean, when was the last time you saw a Democrat go to jail for something? Um, it's, it's, that, honestly, that's the way it is. And I'm not talking about the media. This is in the justice system, too. They get away with literally everything. Honestly, my, I think that as Americans, anytime you see a newscast going on anywhere, you need to be in the background somewhere just yelling Joe Biden's a crook. Ruin their whole business model until they actually are willing to cover what's going on. And that should go for everybody. If you see a news reporter out there, just start yelling Joe Biden's a crook. Ruin their whole profession until they do their damn job. That's my opinion. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. I did see over the weekend, Washington Post. I mean, they can do this. They, um, they're going to lose $100 million in 2023. I mean, they're on pace right now to lose $100 million in one year. One of the great newspapers. I mean, when you think about the Washington Post, I mean, they're really who broke the story on Clinton. We we know that uh, Bernstein and, uh, what was his name? The two reporters that broke the story on Watergate, um, Woodward and Bernstein, um, that, you know, they were working for the Washington Post. So the Washington Post historically has had kind of an interest in, you know, journalistic accomplishment, journalistic um, integrity, journalistic ethic. Um, but not anymore. So, so Bezos buys the Washington Post for two hundred fifty million dollars in two thousand thirteen, um, and you know that that's after. I mean, I, I think he sold a, a anyway took on a different role at Amazon, um, the online shopping giant, um, and he wanted um, or his desire was because he talked to some of the um, some of the people that had been at the Post for a long time. He wanted to go to one of these um, true, uh, kind of the global newspaper, so to speak. I mean, I guess, you know, being in Amazon, that would be global commerce. So he wanted to, uh, in, in like fashion, turn the Washington Post into a uh, kind of a global newspaper, the world's gathering place, so to speak. Um, I don't know how much they paid attention to the budget. I don't know if it really mattered uh, whether they paid attention uh, to the budget, but um they a lot of that they replaced a lot of direct employees with a lot of indirect employees. They had freelance um, writers and contributors that were not necessarily quote unquote employees of the post. Um, but but Bezos basically told them, you know, during the uh, during the 2016 presidential election in 2020, for that matter, when Trump ran to do what you could do to, you know, to help beat Donald Trump. I mean, one of the storied brands in all of um, American media basically became a propaganda known. I mean, we've always believed, or I have, uh, I've always believed that the Post was somewhat of an activist element within uh, the Democrat Party. The Times covered Trump running for president in the entertainment section. But, but Matt's hitting on something kind of interesting here. 
the media has historically leaned left, but the media has not excluded people from the right. And, and that's kind of where we are today. And it goes back to the central argument I've made and, and one of the critical you know, problems in society today or in American society and culture. I mean, I made kind of a far-fetched argument at the end of the show Friday that Josh has a lot of interest in uh, or seemed to after the show. Josh came up to me and said, let me let, let's, let's walk through this. Is there, is there a legitimate argument to be made that the problem in America today is we're too diverse? We're too complicated. We've taken on too many opinions. Um, we, we've taken on too many um, groups of people with too many varying interests. You've got, you know, we, we welcome, I mean, let's, let's, I don't want to be careful here. We, we've welcomed, you know, Muslims who may or may not believe in Sharia law. We welcome liberals who believe in socialism. We've welcomed conservatives, excuse me, Republicans who believe in uh, libertarianism. Uh, we, we got, you know, an anarchist spread here, there, and yonder. And not only do we have all of these different beliefs, we look different. Um, we different ethnicities and different religions. And I said something, my wife basically said, did you really say that at the end of the show Friday morning? I did. I said, the country that seemed to be less chaotic and, and less volatile are countries who have people that look like one another. I mean, is, there, is that wrong? I mean, you look at some of the Scandinavian countries. Look at some of the um, some of the other countries around the world that have a population that the majority look kind of like the rest of everybody. We're not that. I mean, we are a, uh, as I like to say, we're a big ass complicated nation, and we're you know we're still allowing man to govern fellow man, and you know when when seventy percent of the country or eighty percent of the country were Christian, and you know this many were, I mean it was whites and blacks, and that was it, and you know we 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 got a lot of storylines there. You've got um, you've got transatlantic slavery. You've got civil wars. You've got civil rights legislation. You got New Deal. I mean, there, there are a lot of complications just within the relationship of black and whites. And then you add Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, Scandinavian Americans, and it just gets real, real complicated. And you can't. I guess you can. I mean, you can ask someone to stop being who they are, in the name of uh, less volatility and less chaos. But I still believe, and when I hear someone say diversity is our strength, I mean, diversity is what makes us different than all the other countries in the world. I don't deny that diversity makes us different, but is diversity our strength? To me, our strength is competent, quality people doing solid things day by day. I mean, that's what makes a nation great. It's smart, competent, um, you know, quality uh, people doing what they're supposed to do within the parameters and guidelines of the government established may not like it, but I mean, that, that's kind of what makes a nation great. Diversity doesn't make a nation great. What the hell does that mean? Diversity makes the nation great. Uh, we've got Asian Americans. We've got, you know, African Americans. We've got Hispanic Americans. We've got Polish Americans. We've got Italian Americans. You know, we've got um, European Americans. Well, what does that mean? Well, what, what about that makes it great? I mean, it's welcoming, it's inviting, it creates diversity. But what what about diversity believes, uh, or do you believe makes a country great? It's inclusive? I mean, I get that. Okay, uh, we have the most inclusive country on the planet. And because of that, we've created diversity. Because of that diversity, we're greater than all the other nations. Are we? Because of that? I mean, if we're greater than all the other nations, is it because of that? I mean, I, I stopped at Wendy's in Aner last night to get a hamburger. 
that there were about nine cats eating the trash out of the parking lot. But we're a diverse nation. I mean, we welcome all these people from all these places. Uh, do we require them to do anything? Is it the, the, the adherence to what we believe in, what we stand for, what, what America was founded upon? No, it doesn't matter. We're diverse. We're inclusive. Uh, we promote equality. I'm just, I'm just, that's, that's gibberish. That means absolutely nothing as far as I'm concerned. Um, now, now, it means something if you want diversity and if inclusiveness is important to you. I saw a CNBC story over the weekend about the states um, the states that CNBC ranks as the, uh, the best to do business in and the states that they rate as the worst to do business in. Best place to live and do business. Worst place to live and do business. The places that were the worst place to live and do business were the fastest growing states in America. South Carolina was one of the, the states worst to do business and live in. We're third or fourth fastest growing state in America, depending on what metric you use and what you know um, survey you subscribe to. But I, I began reading some of the CN. I mean, this isn't Huffington Post. I mean, this isn't Salon.com. This isn't MSNBC. This is CNBC. I mean, if you turn to CNBC this morning, they're telling you what stock's better than another stock and what the market's likely likely to do or not. I mean, they're supposed to be the um, the rational bunch. I mean, you know, Morning Joe on MSNBC, we know exactly what that is. I mean, it's propaganda. It's it's activism for, for liberal America. But when you turn to CNBC and you see, you know, so, some of these Harvard-educated economists and financial minds, you would expect them. But no, in the CNBC survey, they included... Uh, inclusiveness, equality, and diversity. Doesn't matter how good the roads are. Doesn't matter how much water and sewer you've got. Doesn't matter what the tax rates are. How inclusive are you? How, how diverse is your state government? How how um how equitable of, of outcomes do you pursue? Um, it's just bizarre to me what we've turned into. And everybody's kind of um everybody's buying into this in the weirdest way imaginable. And it really goes back to the unseriousness of Americans. Somebody with a nice suit said one day diversity is our strength. It sounded good. I mean, it makes good bumper sticker fodder. Some some professor at a institution of higher learning can stand in front of a whiteboard or blackboard and say, you know, diversity is our strength. What about diversity is strong? I mean, it, it's diverse, <laughs> but it does not lead. And, and, and when you look at, some of what I said earlier about the DOJ, FBI, law enforcement agencies in general. Um, I mean, do, do we want an, a law enforcement agency? Do we do we want an FBI and a DOJ that's diverse or fair? Uh, diverse or competent? Diverse or qualified? I've just never understood how we fail for that. You know, diversity makes us great. Diversity makes us diverse. You and, know, and competent, no smart quality people make us great no one and and i've been hearing that my entire life about how diversity is our greatest strength but no one has really convincingly told me told me why they're like, they can't i mean that's the question if someone ever says to you again josh diversity is our strength diversity is what makes us great you need to just say how i mean give, give me right. give me give me the the elevator speech i mean what about diversity makes us diverse inclusiveness makes us inclusive you know uh being equitable makes us you know equality of outcome it's just it's an absurd proposition but but it really speaks to the 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 unserious nature of the american public 
how, you know, gullible we've become at, at kind of um, accepting that as, I mean, CNBC. I mean, I would expect MSNBC. If MSNBC did a survey about the best place to live in America or the best place to do business in America, and it included, you know, diversity, inclusiveness, uh, you know, I, they're talking about how we treat transgenders and how we treat same-sex marriage. I mean, that's what they're they're saying. I mean, that's a dog whistle. You know exactly what they're saying. Um, you know, how many how many people in South Carolina genuinely support same-sex marriage? How many people in South Carolina genuinely support gender dysphoria? I mean, you know, are they that inclusive? Well, that's what they're saying. You know exactly uh, what it is. But yeah, when when someone says, I mean, I, I fell for that for a little while. I mean, I remember wanting to believe that diversity was good and, and equality and inclusive. I mean, it's all good, but it doesn't make anybody great. I mean, you know, if you've got a if you've got a uh, college football team and the student body is X percentage white and X percentage black and X percentage Asian Americans and the football team directly reflects the percentages of student body, uh, is does it make you a great football team? I mean, it makes you a football team reflective of the student body. It makes you a, a football team reflective of the state in general. But, but what about that believes you're going to win more games than you lose? There's nothing great about diversity. There's nothing great about inclusiveness. Diversity makes you diverse. Inclusive, uh, inclusiveness makes you inclusive. Um, doing the right thing makes you great. 843-661-09. Doing the right thing makes you good. Doing the right thing over and 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 over makes you great. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Take a break. We'll be back. In just a few moments. You know, not only do we get on our high horse when it comes to politics, we could occasionally get on our high horse when it comes to fitness and wellness and nutrition and taking better care of yourself. Uh, I've, Josh and I've talked a little bit about it. I've been on a 20-year journey of going to the gym, trying to watch what I eat, trying to – I'm again, big into longevity now. I said earlier, Josh, there is no uh, silver bullet. There is no magic wand. There is no, um, you know, magic pill to take. But there may be. <laughs> there just may be. Hold on just a second. We have with us NBA fitness and wellness coach, uh, works with people around the world, improve their mind, body, and uh, spirit, Crystal Laura Cruz. Miss Cruz, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Happy Monday. I'm great. How are you? I am doing well. So is it fair to say that we're all in pursuit of some magic pills so we don't have to do all the hard work necessary to be healthy? And, and there are more options than there's ever been, but there's also some questions that have not been answered about two things in particular. I want to get your take on this, Ozempic, and then this new um, Berberine, if I'm pronouncing that right, B-E-R-B-E-R-I-N-E. What say you as an expert about Ozempic and, and Berberine? Yeah, thank you. Great question. So I think in this world, we all want to be more efficient with our bodies and our health and our wellness. And of course, it's natural for our bodies and our nervous system to want the quick fix. We want results fast, right? So it's easy to reach for a magic pill or a quick cleanse or the, new, the next fad diet. Of course, with social media, it's totally natural. However, uh, just as you mentioned, there really is no quick fix or fad diet out there that's going to be magical and get you instant results. Um, although some of these, uh, these supplements and medications that are meant for weight loss that help with diabetes and sugar um, and glucose, you know, these can be a great aid um, to maybe help kickstart. However, 
um, you know, the newest craze is saying that you don't need to exercise and you just need to take this pill. I do not agree with that. Um, I will, I'll say that with Cruise Van Limits, my, uh, my virtual fitness community is the only magic. It's 30 minutes of, of movement, high intensity interval training. So it, it allows us to get into a metabolic fat burning state really quickly, um, including warm up and cool down with no equipment. So um, getting into community, working our body, moving our body, fueling it properly, and having proper um, healthy habits daily, I think is the magic pill. So what do we do? I mean, when we make a decision that we're going to try and take better care of ourselves and some sort of medicine will be a part of this. In other words, if we're deciding whether Ozempic is right for us, I mean, let, let, let's, let's go back to what you said. I, I totally agree with, with nearly everything you said, but, but some people aren't going to make that commitment that they're still going to say, I, I, I can go to the gym, but I can't do it as much as I should. I can eat a little better, but I can't eat as well as I should. I need a little aid. Do, do we encourage, discourage people from soliciting medical opinions, medical advice when it comes to Ozempic or, or Berberine? Yeah, I think everyone should get a full panel. Um, literally go to your doctor, go to a nutritionist, and make sure that you know what is happening inside your body. I always like to um, use data as a foundation, right? So it's all about the data, really tracking what's happening in our body, um, I know for me, uh, in the middle of my NFL career, I actually ended up in a wheelchair for six months while they tried to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, I recognized I had so much inflammation and trauma built up in my body. I took so much medication, but I had to figure out what really was happening inside my body and what levels, what I was missing. Um, it turns out I had a really rare form of rheumatoid arthritis, and I had to take a lot of medication. So sometimes that is required. Um, and supplements are required to help, you know, your body function properly. But I would say without seeing a doctor, I wouldn't recommend starting any new regimen or taking any pill unless it is, you know, unless you really know what's happening inside your body and what's, how it's going to impact you. Okay, last question. The Internet is full of experts, full of professionals. You've got an opinion. The next person has an opinion. I have an opinion. Some opinions are more informed than others. How do we sort through the information available about health and wellness? Uh, I bought a book one day, and the guy said, this is the only way you should ever strength train because my way is the perfect way. The next sentence was, if you believe that, put the book down. There are a million different opinions. There are a million different ways to look at health and fitness and wellness. But how do we decipher who is trustworthy, who knows what they're they're talking about, and who the snake oil salespeople are? <laughs> yeah, I would say find someone, you know, do your research, look at all parts of the um, of the story, right? Look at the positives, the negatives, and pretty much anything you can find on the internet, you can find the complete opposite to be true, because everyone, like you said, has an opinion, and that's totally natural. So I think it's important for it to, to sort that out with a professional, with a coach, someone that has done their research, that has been through some hard things. Uh, like myself, that, you know, I can help you sort through it. Um, find a professional, someone to just really talk through your specific needs to customize a plan for you. Very well explained. Thank you for your time. Have a great day and a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too.
I thought that would be a little bit interesting. Break the the the, the kind of the monotony of the. Um, I want to get into this. I mean, you know, enough with the wellness and fitness and health, and we we got to get back into um, the mistreatment of one political party by the media, DOJ, FBI, um, as to the other. I believe we got to call Josh. We do. Okay, let's go to the phone. I'm sorry, I didn't know we had a call. We have Breeze calling from wherever he's from. Breeze, you're on. Hey, hell, kid, you could have got me a beautiful Bobby Vervat to waste 15 minutes like that, buddy. <laughs> it was seven minutes, seven minutes. Well, and I would have just charged you two chili cheeseburgers. Okay. <laughs> hey, anyway, you know, kid, really, honest God, do you really not think that, I don't think there's ever been a president that uh, hasn't been bribed. It's so way, shape, form. Mine was just not subtle about it. And I think what will happen is, is just what you said. I think that right now the DNC and the media are waiting at the right time. I think they knew this was coming all along. I think they've been planning it for the whole four years. And I think exactly the right time, they'll either throw Biden under the bus or probably have a talk with him or his wife or somebody and say, hey, man, you need to just pull out for health reasons. And then whoever gets... When we get our guy in, Gavin Newsom, he will, he'll give you a part, okay, brother? So, I, I, don't, I really would be really amazed if Biden runs, okay? And then, you know, you, you were talking about diversity earlier, too. And, and I don't, the people that are shoving, the people the people in power that have the power or have the authority to shove the diversity down our throats, they don't believe it either. Just like they don't believe that their whole climate is that they don't believe the diversity is our street. They believe that diversity is going to be our weakness, and that's why they're shoving it down our throat. They don't believe their own crap, kid. They don't, they don't, they don't. So that's just it. You think they're trying to? Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. And and I'm going to go back. Okay, let's let's do this because I want to go back to some dates. I mean, th- this is to me this is important and it matters because I just sense. I said it Thursday, I think, of last week. I sense that something is changing. I just I believe that the truth about the Biden family is 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 becoming too big to hide. Um, I don't I don't have any analytic. I don't have any. I mean, I didn't read something that led me that something tells me that this is similar to to Bill Clinton when Clinton in January of '98 said, "Remember the wagging the finger? You know, I never had sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky." Um, and then there were stains on a blue dress. Um, Biden had to, um, excuse me, Clinton had to provide a blood sample for DNA testing. He was forced to admit to a grand jury that he had, I mean, his words, and they're very carefully cho- cho- uh, chosen. Uh, they're the Clintons. Uh, inappropriate, intimate contact. I mean, that's the way they explained it. Um, and then in August, in August of 98, so that's in January. In August of 98, Bill finally confessed, and he admitted to the nation, his words, not mine, indeed, I did have a relationship with Miss Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. It constituted, a critic, it constituted a critical lapse of judgment and a personal failure on my part for which I'm solely and completely responsible. Joe Biden has consistently denied knowing anything about his son's um, overseas business dealings. Adventures would be a better word of explaining this, um, let alone the idea that he may have benefited from any of this. I mean, he, he, you know, he's gone on the record multiple times. I knew nothing about it. 
but wagging the finger. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Here's what's interesting to me. In, in Clinton's era, the FBI was not as, you know, uh, uninterested in the truth as they seem to be today. The DOJ was not as actively involved in deciding who gets to run the country as they are the, today. I mean, the media was liberal, but they weren't propagandist. I mean, they, they just weren't. I mean, Woodward and Bernstein, uh, the Washington Post basically broke the story on the blue dress and Monica Lewinsky. So there was still some degree of journalistic ethic and integrity in play. They felt like, you know, hey, we can run interference for a Democrat a lot longer than we can for a Republican because they're one of us. But we can't do it forever. I mean, if, there, if there's a, I mean, if Clinton says he didn't do it, we'll take him at his word. But all of a sudden, a blue dress with a stain shows up, and we got DNA testing and blood. I mean, we got to go down that road to save any sense of credibility that we may have uh, with half of the country. That's not in play today. And that's why it's so interesting to me to watch um, this play itself out. You've got a, uh, an absolute in-the-tank media. You've got a DOJ and FBI that, that have actively, actively supported Biden at the expense of Donald Trump. I mean, the DOJ went to Twitter, which is now X, if I'm not mistaken, and said, you know, um, there's this story out there about Hunter Biden and a laptop and some, um, you know, some business dealings and some information that may corroborate some of these things um, Donald Trump's campaign is saying. Can you help us? I mean, can you suppress this story? Can you amplify some of the stories that are negative about Trump? Now, now mind you, Twitter didn't go to the DOJ. I mean, the DOJ went to Twitter. We already know that the FBI has had someone plead guilty to a crime. Kevin Kleinsmith admitted that he altered a document. We believe, uh, you know, I don't know if you can prove this. I believe that he was directed by some senior member of the FBI. I don't think Kleinsmith just operated on his own volition. I don't think Kleinsmith just said, man, this would be a hell of a fun thing to do. I mean, this would... um. That this would, you know, kind of make my name known forever in uh, in political lore. And I mean, I don't think Klein Smith did that. I think somebody at DOJ and the FBI found a guy that was willing to do that, and he would have been the Oliver North of that of that uh, of that period of time. So, you know, when you look at what happened to Clinton, and from from January to 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 August, I mean, the wheels came off, and he was proven to be dishonest. He was a liar. Um, he had an affair with a young intern. He said he didn't, but he did. Uh, the American people, Democrats in particular, have forgiven him. They've moved on. Um, but at what point in time will Joe Biden, if ever, be forced to confess that he didn't tell the truth? I mean, Bill Clinton found it politically advantageous to come clean. I mean, Clinton didn't enjoy telling the truth, but Clinton and the Clintons do everything for political expediency. So with some moment in his life when Stephanopoulos or Carvel went to him and said, Bill, I mean, you're, you're, they've got you, man. I mean, you know what I mean? Um, politicians lie every day. Breeze just said it. I'll agree with it. Politicians lie every day. But, but you, you don't need to stick to this lie because there's, you know, th there's a lot of information out there that says you had an affair with this lady. Now, now how intimate that affair was, what sort of affair, I mean, you know, he called it. Let, let me get the words right here again. He called it, um, eh, I want to make sure I get this correct, uh, inappropriate intimate contact. 
is what he called it. Now we know what it was that it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it was inappropriate. It was intimate. It was contact. I mean, that's for damn sure. Um, but, but I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. Um, and then you go to Biden and, and I, I just, something tells me that, and you know, the Clinton, I mean, Bill Clinton was a hundred times the politician that Joe Biden's ever been. I mean, he was very capable, very, very, um, savvy, very, very just good at it. I mean, just really, really good at, you know, the game of American Biden's never been uh, an overachiever. Uh, he really kind of won the, the Democrat primary by default. You know, he didn't campaign. He had some kind of, you know, Bernie Sanders and some, uh, Sanders didn't run. Did he now Sanders didn't run, uh, who ran against Joe Biden in 20 and 2020, who would have been his lead competitor, Buttigieg. I think Buttigieg probably would have been the lead challenger uh, for a while there. Elizabeth Warren, I think, uh, ran in that race. But anyway, Biden was considered the um, the safest bet, the centrist candidate. You know, hey, um, let Trump be Trump was kind of their strategy. He'll scare off enough independents. Uh, the Democrats have a built-in advantage. It's the larger of the two major political parties, and Trump will scare off enough independents without you having to do anything. In other words, you don't have to go out campaign to convince you know, independence, you're a better candidate. Trump will convince them he's not the right candidate. I mean, he'll just say things. So that was their strategy. I mean, that, it was probably, uh, in all honesty, considering the candidates you had, it was the right strategy. Let Trump be Trump. Let Trump say a handful of outlandish things that scare off independents in 28 counties where they historically vote, vote Republican. But, but now we're beginning to find out a lot more. And I took about six or eight articles and kind of merged and uh, coordinated. Um, there, there's going to be a guy named Devin Archer who is going to testify probably this week uh, before the oversight committee that he was in the room. Um, now, now, once again, Archer's a character. It's kind of interesting. When, when Trump hangs around with some of the unsavories, it's bad judgment. But now you've got uh, Biden and the Bidens in general. I'm talking about Jim and Hunter and, you know, Joe's in the middle of this. They're, they're hanging around with a guy named Devin Archer, who I think is, I mean, he's got some criminal liability relating to bonds and bond sales and bond buys, uh, you know, millions of dollars in bond purchasing, some things he didn't do on the up and up. Imagine that. But he's Hunter Biden's uh, business partner, and he says, and he's ready to appear before Congress, uh, under oath, fear perjury, to say that, you know, there were times that Hunter Biden would um, call in his father. In other words, Hunter Biden is speaking to someone from Burisma. I mean, I don't know that to be the case, but he's speaking to someone uh, that they do business with. Burisma comes to mind because that's the most recent story, um, and that's the unidentified informant who says that, um, that, that you know, Burisma bribed. I mean, that, that Joe Biden was bribed by uh, some of the membership of Burisma, some of the ownership of uh, Burisma. But what Devin Archer is going to argue that on more than one occasion, Hunter Biden was speaking to a foreign national. I guess they would question whether Hunter had talked to his father about it. Hunter would, um, you know, ca- kind of conference call his dad in and his dad would, I-, I guess, support or validate what it was Hunter Biden was saying and I mean, that, that's a chilling revelation if it's true. Now, now, once again, Devin Archer has some issues. He's not, you know, leading the scout troop on Oak Street. I mean, he's been a controversial business person, but he's Hunter Biden's partner, and we know that to be true. 
I mean, not an associate. He's a partner of Hunter Biden in several of these shakedown businesses. And, um, and he's going to testify to Congress that on more than one occasion, Hunter would get, Hunter would have an issue with one of these foreign nationals. He would call his father. His father would, you know, kind of engage in the conversation and basically validate whatever it was um, Hunter was saying. So I, I just think that the, the story's getting too big. I mean, there, there's too many, you know, where, where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, I mean, they, they, you know, the room's full of smoke. I mean, you can see fire. They're trying to not see um, the fire. And, and I, just, I just sense that, that this will be a, a larger story to get rid of Joe Biden. That, that's just my, I mean, that, my gut tells me that, that there's nothing I've read. The DNC didn't issue a memo saying, you know, Biden's approval ratings and Biden's handling of the economy and the wrong track, right track. Something just tells me instinctively that we're nearing kind of the breaking news cycle of, uh, okay, um, you know, you wagged the finger and said you didn't do it. it it's hard to deny that you did. And, and now, you know, are, are we really going to get to a place where someone appears before Congress and accuses, under, under fear of perjury, an American president of accepting a bribe? And, and we'll, I'll kind of get into that story here in just a couple of minutes. Take a break. Back in. It takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. I mean, if, you're, if you've been married seven times and you try to, I mean, if, if you get married and divorced and you say, hey, you know, she didn't care much for me after the marriage, I didn't care much for her after after the marriage, okay, we mutually irreconcilable differences. It was a mutual agreement that we weren't happy together. Uh, divorce is a part of our American landscape. Half marriages or half the marriages in America end in divorce, and then you get divorced again. You get divorced again and divorced again, and you're on your seventh uh, divorce. At some point in time, you got to take some ownership. At some point in time, you got to look in the mirror and say, man, I might be a hard dude to be married to, or I might be a hard woman to be to be married to. We've got all this corroborating um, information now. We've got, you know, whistleblowers at the IRS. We've got the FBI. Uh, we, we've got, uh, we've got the, uh, what, what, there, there's another story out there that's, um, we've got, the, we got the whistleblowers at the FBI. We've got bank records. That's the one I'm looking for. We've got LLCs. We've got seven members of the family. We've got 15. We got money wired from foreign nationals to the, I mean, we got a lot of things. We're on our seventh divorce and we're still trying to argue that we didn't, you know, we're not the problem. It's the seven women that Joe Biden was married to. I mean, they were all just complicated, difficult, could be married to anyone. No, the guy's a crook. I mean, the Biden family are crooks. They've been crooks for a long time. Let's go all the way back in the beginning. Joe Biden gets elected to the Senate in the mid-70s. Shortly after that, he buys a home formerly owned by the DuPonts. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, help me with this. He, he gets elected to the Senate in the 70s. Not long after that, Joe Biden, who has no personal family wealth, I mean, I think they've done okay, but he buys a mansion formerly owned uh, by the DuPonts. His kid has no qualifications. He ends up on the, the Visa board or Ma MasterCard, one of those uh, credit card company boards. He ends up on the Amtrak uh, board. He traffics in, and I mean, he peddles influence. That's what the Bidens do. 
and he was the guy that could beat Trump. I mean, he was the guy they could put in the basement and and kind of, you know, he had a career being lunch pay old Joe and he eulogized Strom Thurmond and uh, he's kind of an old school Northeast liberal Democrat, a little bit harmless, um, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Nobody ever thought he was the sharpest knife in the drawer. Um, and the election was all about Trump. I mean, it was very little to do with Joe Biden. You kind of crossed your fingers if you're a Biden supporter, hoping he just didn't say something outrageously um, stupid. Now, he did when he said, we'll be off fossil fuels in 10 years and things like that. But, I mean, the guy's a, he's a crook. The family have basically um, used their position in government to shake down businesses that do, uh, that need favors from, from our federal government. So, I mean, we're on the set. you got whistleblowers at the IRS. You've got the FBI trying to tamp down information, going to Twitter, trying to keep a story on the down low. You've got bank accounts. You've got wire transfers. You've got family members. You've got LLCs. I mean, what else do we need? I mean, the media is not interested in this because, once again, um, the media is not liberal, but rather a propaganda arm for the American political left. That's where we are in America today. And, and you know, we, we shouldn't be as concerned about the the liberal media, the propaganda arm of the American political left, as we should be the concern we should have about DOJ and the FBI. I mean, the DOJ and FBI have been radicalized. I mean, the DOJ and FBI have supported, have, have actively involved themselves in supporting one candidate for president over another. That's where we are in America today. And, I mean, we, we, you know, we talk about in a small town or a big town or, you know, crime here. And, no. I mean, we, we, we have a media that is a propaganda arm for the American political left and government agencies that actively involve themselves in helping pick an American president. That should freak us out, and it really does not. I mean, you know, but he's not Trump. I mean, half the country kind of stand there, whatever it takes. I mean, he's not Trump. Anything to start, stop Trump from getting uh, reelected. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. We have Dale calling from Florence. Dale, you're on the air. Hey, guys. This is real odd. I'm getting all kinds of stuff through the line. I'm going to call you guys back. Okay. 843-661-0937. Do we have another call? Josh? We do. We have Mike calling from Darlington. Mike, you're on the air. Hey there. Uh, I've got a bunch of static coming through here, another radio station yeah, or something. I can hear some other noise in the background as well. Yeah. All right, I'll work on that. Okay. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, you got it fixed, Josh, you think? Um, working on it. Let's let's give it a try. Okay. Uh, Mike, you're back on. Is it better? Oh, he hung up. Okay. Uh, get, let me call this guy. Let okay. me answer this phone. Okay. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Sometimes we have these. The televisions. The television will back feed through the uh, control board, and you'll actually hear just uh, kind of a, a low volume um, Fox News bit, kind of his background for uh, the call on the radio. Somebody there, Josh. We have Mike. Mike calling from Darlington. Mike, you're live. Oh, hi. Uh, I, I tell you, Ken, I, I don't think you can depend on just the natural course of events to get rid of these, uh, 
crazy people and these corrupt people. I think you ought to have some sort of rating for people that are out there that are actually leading our country, like a a craziness index, a constitutional index, and uh, a corruption, and maybe even a competence index that that you could rank people and diversity because diversity is not a good ranking because if you go with every whatchamacallit group you want, you might not let want the diversity to be real high for the guy that's piloting your airliner that you're flying on at 35,000 feet. You might want a confident person being do it, doing that. But that's just my ideas. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. I mean, imagine... Who believes that Joe Biden is competent? I mean, really and truly, I mean, I, I get the Biden voter. I mean, he didn't want to vote for Trump. Trump was horrible. Trump was bad. You know, Jesus is an insult to the, the office of the presidency. You wanted to restore some sort of sanity, get normal people back in charge, you know, c- kind of get the, um, the, the earth back on its axis and have some, uh, some traditionally normal American politician in the White House, but nobody believes that Joe Biden is an exclusive man. Nobody believes that Joe Biden is an above average intelligence, above average competence, above average um, diligence, above average. I mean, he's a, he's a hack. I mean, he's historically been been a political hack, but we seem to have an appetite in America for political hacks, and we seem to buy narratives whether they're whether they're true or not. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. We have Dale back calling from Florence. Dale, you're on the air. Hey, guys. Now, I understand that I have been known on occasion to come up with a bit of a conspiracy theory. Um, But here's what I've been wondering for the last few days. None of this is really new. We've had this information. Good Lord, Hannity puts it out every half hour on his show. All the stuff that the Biden family's done. We've known about this. The press has known about it. Everyone's known about it. I mean, you go all the way back to where Biden is is telling everybody that he graduated top of his class and all that when he was in college. I mean, he's lied his whole career. Here's what my question is. We're getting fairly close to another presidential election. Is all this getting more play now because the Democrats really don't want to run to Trump Biden out there again? Is that why all this is starting to really, like I said, none of it's new. We've known all this stuff for a couple of years. But now it's getting a lot of play. Is that because we're getting ready to have a, a presidential election and they really don't want Joe Biden running? You guys have a good day. Thank you, Dale. That's the argument I make. I mean, I, I really believe that is the driver of all of this. I mean, we're, we're, we're finding out now. Now, Dale said we've known all this. We've suspected all of this. I mean, for a long time. I mean, we've suspected that something doesn't make sense about Biden. I mean, you know, what is the optimal temperature of the planet Earth? How do the Bidens get rich? I mean, there's certain central questions you ask to begin with. Um, I was texting with a Democrat friend of mine about, you know, what's believable, what's not. But but he never responds to the question how the Bidens get rich. I mean, he'll argue about the, you know, the Ukrainian oligarchs, the Russian oligarchs, and they're not to be, they're not to be trusted. Surely you're not going to trust the, um, this unidentified informant businessman um, who was the founder of Burisma. Surely we're not going to take those folks at their word. Um, but, but once you ask the central question, how did the Bidens get wealthy? I mean, how did Joe Biden, as a member of the U.S. Senate, he's never had a job. I mean, he, you know, he, I think he, Dale's right. I mean, he's be, 
fundamentally dishonest about everything in his life. You know, he graduated with honors. He got a scholarship. He did this and he did that. I mean, he embellishes about everything in his life. And I don't know if that's an insecurity complex or not, but we suspected a lot of these things. We've not known these things now. We know that there are two whistleblowers who are making very serious accusations. Now, we don't know that they're telling the truth, but but we suspect they are. So we're beginning to find out a lot of other things. Devin Archer, um, once again, he's you know taking for what he's worth. I mean, he's, there, there's a $60 million bond fraud um, scandal that he's involved in. Um, but he's going to testify this week to the Oversight Committee um, that there were multiple phone calls between Hunter Biden and one of these foreign nationals. And when something came up that Joe needed to address, they would, you know, he would either be there in person or via speakerphone, um, he would join in. And Hunter Biden would introduce, you know, uh, Vice President Joe Biden, now President Biden, uh, to these uh, prospective investors, some of these um, foreign business partners. And, I mean, he says he saw this. He witnessed all of this. Now, you can say, yeah, but, I mean, he's the same guy that's involved in a $60 million bond fraud scheme. Is he telling the truth? I mean, a guy involved in a $60 million bond fraud, I mean, you got to be questioning of, of whether he's telling the truth or not. But but does it make it impossible for him to tell the truth about some of these others? So, so when Dale says we've known all these things, I, 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 we've not. We've suspected all of these things. They're beginning to be revealed to us. And I think Dale's barking up the right tree when he says, why? I mean, why are all of these things that we've suspected and talk radio and Fox News have covered extensively? Why are all of a sudden now they're, they're being a little more reported in the mainstream? We're learning a little bit more about the IRS whistleblowers, a little bit more about the Burisma co-founder, a little bit more about Devin Archer. Why are we, why are we now hearing about these things? And I believe that they, they suspect Biden can't make it till, till next November, and the earlier they find a replacement, the more likely it is they can hold on to the White House. That's my theory. So you think that the Democrats are letting this stuff kind of come out to muddy the waters around Biden? How so many Democrats have him? defended Joe Biden? That's a good question. I mean, how many, how many Democrats have defended? I mean, nobody's piling on, but, but how many Democrats have said, I emphatically stand by Joe Biden. Joe Biden is telling the truth. At the oversight hearing last week, how many Democrats defended Biden? None. You know what they did with their time? Kind of the um the what aboutism? What about Donald Trump? I mm-hmm. mean, every Democrat that had a chance to address the IRS whistleblowers didn't say both of you are liars. What did they say? That they gave a five minute speech about Donald Trump and Paul Manafort and General Flynn and all these other. But I mean, it was it was on Trump 101 again. What about ism? That that's what I'm saying. There is no I've seen nobody with a D beside their name stand with Joe Biden saying, You guys are making accusations you can't support. You're making accusations about my friend, the president of the United States, that I just don't believe nor buy in. Everybody in Washington knows Biden's a crook. Everybody in Washington knows that Biden has has peddled influence. So they think and he's a sinking ship. Sure, I mean, it, uh, but that's my theory now. I mean, I, I don't mm-hmm. know what they think. I'm not in. I'm not in the bubble. I'm not inside the Beltway. But but it seems to me 
that if you believed he had a good chance to win in November 24, you would stand with him but deny these charges. How many times has the White House denied these charges recently? I mean, you know, if, if I'm if I'm with the Biden administration and two IRS whistleblowers make accusations like they did, I would publicly address from the podium the American people and say this is a lie. This is not true. I have never, I have never financially advantaged by being vice president, being senator, being president. I mean, the Democrats aren't doing that. Biden's not doing that. The White House isn't doing that. They're, they're, once again, they're playing the strategy of today's politics. If you're a Democrat, you just don't believe the media will report on it, and you kind of wait it out. You, you kind of just hunker down. You play turtle for a week or two or three, and, you know, you hope it blows over. The point I'm trying to make, uh, Josh, is it seems to me that the it's, it's getting too big to hide. I mean, you got all these ancillary features to the story now. I mean, you've got an IRS whistleblower one week. You've got bank records another week. You've got shell companies and LLCs, and now you've got this um, unidentified informant business person. You've got audio of Biden saying, you know, they fired the SOB. I mean, it kind of corroborates. I mean, that's how stupid he is. He's he's not a smart man. I'm sorry, Joe. Bill Clinton was a bright man. Barack Obama was a bright man. Joe Biden is not. I'm sorry. I mean, I disagreed. With Obama, I disagreed with Clinton, but I never doubted their intellect. They were smart, accomplished, competent men for the wrong reason. But I didn't believe there were, you know, just dunces. Joe Biden and his family are just not very bright. And the only way they saw to financially position themselves was to sell access, to peddle influence. And that's what they did. And as long as they were the one person that could beat Trump, they looked past all that. And now they're beginning to question his cognitive decline is accelerating. His ability to be coherent is becoming even more um, concerning. And you've got all this negative information that, that they're getting bombarded with. And I just think the, the Democrats are saying it might be time to look around and find, you know, another suitor. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Four three six six one zero nine three seven. A number takes Mondays to make Fridays. Somebody held on during the break. Let's be considerate. Of their time and go there, Josh. This is Joe from Hartsville. Joe, you are on the air. Yeah, good morning, guys. I, I just wish that the Republicans running now will tell me what they're running for, what they're going to do to change all this, because they're not going to do anything. I mean, the FISA courts know that they were duped. And I haven't heard anything from any of those judges. Usually when a judge is disrespected the way they were in the FISA court, you would hear something about it. Joe, what if the, what if the judge it. knew he was being duped and went along with it? Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Don't, don't tell me what, what you're going to do. Cause you know, somebody said something about Hannity says something every 30 minutes. Hannity's been talking about, the, the walls are closing in for about six years now. They've closed in on Hillary Clinton so much that she's a multi-billionaire probably. But they're, they're not going to do anything. You, you've got the leader of the Republicans that doesn't want any of this to come out because Mitch McConnell is, is neck deep in deals with the Chinese. 
They're all doing it. I want somebody to say, this is what I'm doing. And I'll tell you what, Vivek Ramaswamy, from what I hear from him, is given the clearest path yet. Him and, and Tim Scott have a vision that I can go with. You know, if Trump falters, we've got good candidates and we need to listen to them, but they need to tell us what they're going to do to bring us out of this because, you know, we're we're living by the grace of God right now. And that's all I want is somebody to bring this country back to some sense of normalcy. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Bringing up Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy goes next level. I mean, you got a lot of candidates who explain, you know, what they do if given the opportunity. You got to be careful because Trump's such a dominant figure in the party. I think Joe said something interesting, um, Josh, and that is some of the Republicans are hesitant to aggressively pursue justice because they know what's in their closet. I mean, some of the old right. hands that have been there for a long time. I mean, Mitch McConnell is one of the most prominent Republicans on the planet. I mean, he's Senate minority leader, has been Senate majority leader. He's held in high regard uh, by those who understand the way Washington works. Uh, McConnell gets credit for a couple of things, and that's the way he worked through the Supreme Court, you know, with Trump um, stopping Merrick Garland. I know that made Democrats mad, but, you know, um, a little bit like Denny Hamlin yesterday racing Kyle Larson. Uh, I mean, it's dirty racing, but he won the race. I mean, they didn't, you know, take 20% of his paycheck back. I mean, he, he won the race. Somebody raced a, a fellow competitor dirty. But but Joe Joe's on to something there. And and they're, they're, that's one of the reasons that you'll not hear from some of the um, high-ranking Republicans, you know, aggressively pursue justice is they, they know how dirty their hands are. So let me ask, I we're talking about the DOJ and how corrupt and one-sided they are, but you've said that you think so much has come out, it might be enough to overturn the Bidens. But what of these things, what do you think is the most pressing? Like what, what do you think is so big well, it'll get well, that I mean, done? It's a, the most serious charge is the, the Burisma situation and firing the prosecutor. I mean, if that, remember, I mean, there's a lot here. I mean, there's a lot to unravel there. Um, there's a report. I'll read it verbatim in USA Today. And this is kind of interesting. USA Today had this article. Um, according to an unidentified informant businessman, the founder of Burisma recounted being pressured by then-Vice President Joe Biden to put Biden's son, Hunter, on the Ukrainian energy company's board and for $10 million in bribes, $5 million each, to Joe and Hunter Biden in order to use Biden's political influence to force the firing of a Ukrainian prosecutor who was investigating Burisma. That's serious. Now, once again, I don't have any idea if it's true or not. There, there's an article in Bloomberg. There's an article in USA Today. There's an article in National Review that say about the same thing. You would expect it to be in the National Review. You wouldn't expect it to be in USA Today uh, unless there's something here, uh, unless something is gaining uh, forward momentum. I'll continue. The prosecutor, Viktor Shokin, was fired by the Ukrainian government a few months after Vice President Biden in late 2015 threatened then-Ukrainian President, I'll butcher these names, Petro Poroshenko, uh, that the Obama administration would withhold $1 billion 
and congressionally approved U.S. funding under Keb uh, until Keb fired Shokin. Um, I mean, that's a Biden did an interview with the Foreign uh, Council for Foreign uh, Yeah Council of Foreign Relations, and he basically kind of joked about it. You've you've heard the interview. Yep. They fired the SOB. Uh, you know, I said you won't get the money. I mean, that that's congressionally approved appropriated money. And so, so when you ask me, what what is the most serious challenge that the Bidens face? Um, that's it. Let, let's go back. Uh, I, I I got something here I want to play. Um, Trump gets impeached. Why? Think about Trump's impeachments. Uh, one was remember when he asked the Ukrainian the phone call when he asked the Ukrainian to kind of follow up with some some things about. Now this is Trump's world. Some of these things don't make sense that happen between Biden and the Ukrainian government. I mean, find out. I mean, investigate that and find out. Let, let's go back to Face the Nation. Uh, this would be, I'm sorry, this is CNN State of the Union. This is Nancy Pelosi. This would have been in 20, uh, 2018-ish. Are we in queue? I want to play this. About 15 seconds long. I'll listen to what she says. Ready? Uh, I was very careful about bringing any impeachment forward. Uh but when the president made that phone call in terms of Ukraine, there was no choice. We had no choice. He must be impeached. So, so, so you want to be real conspiracy theory? I mean, is she, does she already know that Biden has problems? I mean, does she know that Trump's barking up the right tree? I mean, it's 2023 now. That would have been five years ago in 2018. And she basically said the second that Trump called or the second that we were made aware that Trump asked Ukraine about Biden and these corruption allegations, um, we immediately moved to impeach. I mean, that's her words, not mine. Let's play it again. You ready? Uh, don't take my word for it. Here is um, former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I was very careful about bringing any impeachment forward. Uh, but when the president made that phone call in terms of Ukraine, there was no choice. We had no choice. He must be impeached. So, so what was Trump calling about? Trump was calling, asking, is this true? I mean, did, did, I mean, I don't think we, I know we didn't mention five or $10 million. I mean, we didn't mention bribery, but, but Trump wanted to know, did Joe Biden really withhold a billion dollars? I mean, he said he did. Mm-hmm. Joe, so, so when you ask the most serious allegation or the most serious accusation, I mean, this is easily the most serious and these are reputable news services however reputable uh, they can be uh and 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 then you've got this bribery story now that comes out of that so you know if i want to be i mean i'm playing chess now i mean i'm playing high level chess or trying to i mean over i mean it's obvious i'm over my head but i'm i'm trying to so so trump calls the ukrainian leader and ask about this um so some of these Biden corruption allegations. Once again, we never heard five or ten million. I think we heard a little bit about Hunter Biden back then. But remember what what Joe Biden said: "You're not getting the money. I mean, unless you don't fire, unless you don't get rid of show, you're not getting the money." And son of a gun, they fired him. You know, and they got the money because the guy said, "You can't withhold the money. You're not the president." And he says, "Well, call Biden. I mean, call Obama. I mean, here you call him." In other words, I've got the go-ahead. You know, I'm I'm speaking for for the he's exactly right. The vice president can't. I mean, didn't have that. It's congressionally approved funding. Now, now I have no idea if there's a connection to Nancy Pelosi, but I did remember 
her being on the um, you know, the Sunday morning shows and anybody that would listen when when asked about impeaching Trump, and she said, Well, I mean, when he started calling Ukrainian or when he got the Ukrainian leader on the phone and began asking about some of these corruption allegations, I mean, we had no choice but to proceed uh, with impeachment. Did Pelosi know about the bribes? I mean, we didn't hear anything about the bribes in 18. This is new information. I mean, I always suspected, I always wondered, because I've always had this, uh, I mean, it would be natural to question how a guy in the Senate who has never, I mean, he didn't inherit any money, he's never made a lot of money, but he buys a home formerly owned by the DuPonts. I mean, that, that was the moment that I was like, okay, I mean, I, you know, I, I've always wondered how some of these guys and ladies get unbelievably wealthy, you know, uh, on $165,000 a year, which is a great salary. I mean, the majority of Americans would love to have $165,000 a year salary, but, but on a buck 65, you don't buy a home the DuPont's owned. You're not living in I mean, the Biltmore. <laughs> you, you, you don't, you don't have beach homes. You know, you, you don't have, you don't live the lifestyle. You don't take care of family members. You don't have, um, you don't have LLCs and offshore bank accounts on a buck 65 a year. I mean, you can go to Disney, you can live a really good life, but you don't live that sort of life on a buck 60 or 65 that you don't have old Corvettes at beach houses. You just don't. And, and so, so I've always suspected, but, but, but Joe is exactly right. Why is one of the most prominent Republicans on the planet? not in an uproar. Why is Mitch McConnell not having a press conference every day accusing uh, the Democrats of running interference for Joe Biden and the media and the DOJ and the FBI? Because he's got a lot of dirt on his hands. I mean, his wife has been financially advantaged. His family has with some of these Chinese interactions. And that goes back to the kind of the central theme. And this is nonpartisan. I mean, a lot of what I'm talking about this morning is as partisan as it gets. Republican good, Democrat bad. I mean, it's election time. I want a Republican to win, but, but, but this is nonpartisan. Both parties have sold your government down the river. I mean, both parties are guilty of selling your government to people who don't have your best interests at heart. I mean, that, that is something that I fundamentally believe in with every fiber of my body. And I mean, I would imagine the Democrats have, you know, a different list than the Republicans do. There is some overlap without question. But, but, you know, the, the central theme of disgust and, and I guess, desperation that the American people have about its government is they know that. I mean, they know that these two parties have not looked after the best interests of the American, the American people, and that's why you've got such animus. And then you compound that to find out, wow, so the, there are people in the IRS that were trying to do a job, trying to find out where all this money came from. And did Biden declare it as income? Hunter Biden, I'm talking about. They get to a point where they wonder whether it goes to Joe Biden. I mean, these are investigators. That they're, they, they see the big guy. That they know how to follow financial transactions. And somebody says to them, hey, stop there. No, no further. I don't have the power or authority to make that call any longer. I mean, is that, guys, that's banana republic stuff. I mean, that, that's, that's dictatorships. I mean, when, when your government tells people who are responsible for following the fact pattern to wherever the fact pattern may lead, and somebody of authority says, hey, stop that. I mean, that, that's enough there. You wonder who it is? 
I mean, I think we understand now why it is. But, but Josh, it's easy to me that the most serious challenge is um, Victor Shokin being fired by the Ukrainian government um, a few months after Vice President Biden said, um, you know, you fire him or you won't get the money. And it was congressionally approved money. It wasn't money in his bank account. Um, and, and now we've got this bribery information or this accusation made uh, by this confidential, unidentified informant businessman. And, and that's serious biz. I mean, that, that is extremely serious. Devin Archer will appear, appear this week. Now, the media will, 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 you know, I mean, they'll disparage his name. I mean, he'll be the guy that's in this bond scheme or bond fraud. And, I mean, it's possible he goes to jail as, as a result of all that. I mean, obviously, you take that into account. But, but I, I just find it interesting that Nancy Pelosi said the second that Donald, I mean, that's her words, not mine. You heard it. The second that Trump began asking uh, about Ukraine and some of these corruption allegations, I knew that we had to move forward with impeachment. So my question is, did Pelosi know that the Bidens had been bribed and she's running interference for, uh, you know, the Democrats and whomever the Democrat nominee is? That, that's third. I mean, that, that, that's, that's high-level <sighs> obstruction. I mean, that, that, that's, you're talking about playing for keeps there. Trump's asking the right question. Trump's the president. He's asking the right question. Hey, somebody explain to me what may or may not have happened with Shokin and Biden. And, you know, some of the phone calls are recorded, and Pelosi knows how Washington works way better than Trump will ever know how Washington works. I mean, you know, she's a... I mean, you talk about a swamp creature, good Lord. She's the epitome of, of the, and damn good at it. I mean, in the weirdest way imaginable, I respect the lady for how well she knows the swamp and how comfortable she is, you know, inhabiting inhabiting the swamp. But that's the most serious accusation. I mean, okay. They, I mean, they, they're all serious. But, but that's the most serious accusation. If Biden asked the Ukrainian leader, to fire a prosecutor or he was not getting a billion dollars in aid and in exchange got five million bucks each for him and his kid, that's about as bad as it gets. Now, now we don't know that that's true. That's the accusation. Right. That's the unidentified informant businessman uh, making that accusation. Now, now, we know this bribery information has been provided to the FBI more than one time uh, in, in a series of meetings I think it was in 2020, uh, 2021, uh, this Form 1023. I mean, that, some of that Form 1023 talks a little bit about, you know, the um, the accusation of bribery. Uh, so, you know, I mean, obviously, Justice Department whistleblowers, IRS whistleblowers, you got FBI agents, you know, saying some of the same things that the IRS and, and DOJ whistleblowers. But, um. But if the if Devin Archer confirms some of this, and Grassley's, uh, you know, remember the redacted letter? I mean, it wasn't redacted much at all. In fact, it was not redacted anywhere near as the media as much as the media or the Biden administration had wished it had been um, redacted. But um, but but a ten bi- a ten million dollar bribery scheme, bribery scheme. I mean, it doesn't get much more serious than that. If indeed. Um, that's the case. Now, now go back to what Joe was talking. Excuse me. What Dale was talking. Is this the is this the game that's being played? In other words, if the economy were rolling 
and Biden's at 55 or 60 percent approval and right track, wrong track numbers in a good place. Does the media, DOJ, FBI, does everybody get on board and defend Biden? I don't know. I mean, the economy's not rolling. Biden's approvals are not, you know, historically high. That He's got problems. And the last thing they want is Donald Trump to get reelected. But, but if you take Trump winning the Republican nomination, Biden winning the Democrat nomination, and the right track, wrong track number, we've already talked about how many votes. Uh, we believe the Republicans have played a little catch-up in this you know, voting season instead of election day, and that's, the Democrats are taking all that into account. What gives them the best chance to win in November of 2024? And I think they're beginning to question whether it's Joe Biden or not. And that's why you're starting to see some of the allowing of, of this story. Uh, the Washington Post, New York Times, USA Today, NBC News. I mean, they're, they're not inundating you with it because it's still not. I mean, they'd rather slaughter Trump and kill Republicans than anything Republicans believe in or, or stand for is bad. But, but I, I just think there's a reason some of these stories are getting more play. And I think that reason is that they're, they're, they're deeply concerned that Biden is not their best nominee come November 2024. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Now, another part of the story, that I'm arguing that the biggest story out there regarding the Bidens, I mean, you got RS whistleblowers, you've got, you know, uh, laptop, you got a lot of, but, but to me, it's this story of, you know, bribery. And it centers around this, you know, this, um, this Shokin, he's a prosecutor in Ukraine. I mean, it's, uh, Biden says it himself. And Pelosi just said, the second Trump began kind of going down that road, we knew impeachment. Uh, was inevitable. That's the big story. But there's another part of this story, and and I don't know the answer to, did the FBI choose to not investigate? I mean, that To me, that's as big a story. Politicians going to politic. But the FBI and DOJ, I mean, Grassley and the Oversight, excuse me, the, uh, Grassley and the Senate and the House Oversight Committee have, uh, I mean, that, that letter's been made public. That 1023, Form 1023 has been made uh, public now. But did the FBI and DOJ decline to respond to those inquiries. That that's, that's a huge, huge story. You've got some evidence, you've got some corroboration and DOJ and FBI choose to not explore whether there's any validity to it or not. Let's go to the phone. We have Ashley calling from Poston's corner. Ashley, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, fellas. Uh, of course, your old hand Democrats knew about the corruption. I dare say that a bunch of the old hand Republicans knew about the corruption. And I definitely know <laughs> that the head honcho, the uh, lifetime appointees in the FBI and the IRS and CIA, they knew about it too. But the question is why nobody said anything. So let's go back before the NIL deal with the, with college football. If you knew that the booster club for Miami was playing an offensive player X amount of money, and you're a defensive guy, but you're also getting paid X amount of money for something else, you're not going to tell on the booster club because you're not going to affect your pocketbook. And you're dang sure not going to tell on your immediate manager when they're best friends with the CEO of the company that they're doing something wrong. So I'm saying there's a bunch of the Republicans – and there's a bunch of the Democrats that got involved and 
pay to play on various other levels. I mean, they they followed Nancy Pelosi's stock picks, and it was the best stock picks for the last ten years. You beat the you beat any any investor in the nation if you just followed her stock pick. And and if it wasn't for America First stepping in and America First Republicans kind of ringing that doorbell, kind of saying, "Hey, we need to look at all this stuff." I don't. I don't think we'd ever even hear about it. You would be completely in the dark. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate it. And that's the resistance within the Republican Party. A lot of the resistance. When I go on on Twitter and I read this person or that person, and the, you know the Lincoln Project. That that would be a good example. The Lincoln Project is a kind of kind of a never Trump, anti Trump, uh, Republican movement. All they are, are are leftovers from the arrangement. Ashley used nil. As a comparison, it's pretty good. You know, we know what was happening at some of these colleges. We know that. I mean, nobody. It's hard to prove. And you know, as long as it's um, as long as it's not stopping the cure of cancer, you know, or or or, or saving the planet from climate. I mean, you know what? It's football, man. I mean, who cares? I mean, you know, the guy got some money. Uh, the church was a conduit, or the school, or whatever. The coach. You know, I mean, it, we all knew what was happening. We knew it was dirty. What we know it was uh, not 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 above board, but but none of us were. I mean, we were bothered by it, but we weren't that bothered uh, by it. And and that's probably what has happened in Washington for a long, long time. And that's probably been bipartisan. I mean, I would imagine. I mean, if you're a Republican and you know Pelosi, let's say you're Mitch McConnell, you've been there as long as she's been there, and Warren Buffett gives you financial advice, and Nancy Pelosi gives you financial advice. And you're more inclined to trust Nancy Pelosi. Why? Because you know how the swamp works. And you know that as good as Buffett is at in giving investment advice, Pelosi's got information that even Warren Buffett doesn't have. And, I mean, it, it, that, that's, I mean, go look at the record. I mean, there's a tally out there somewhere. There have been a lot of reporting about how, how people go to Washington with small fortunes and leave with big fortunes. And, you know, p- normally people go to Columbia and they struggle. I mean, they really intruded it. The majority of people that go to Columbia and try to serve in the state house. The reason that they, they choose to not run again is their business takes too big a hit. I mean, it's hard for them to, to you know, a lawyer takes a big hit in his law practice. A business guy is not at, at work looking after his business. Only in Washington can people get elected and increase their net worth faster than somebody buys stock in Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, explain that. I mean, it's, it's absurd, but that's kind of, and that's the bipartisan part of all this. So I want to ask, because I'm a bit of a political cynic. I, we, we talk about corruption. We talk about who's corrupt and to what degree they're corrupt. But I want to ask, because you've said you think this might be the thing that sinks the Biden ship. What is, best case scenario, the worst thing that could happen to the Bidens? That Joe announces he's not running for re-election. Okay. So and, they, and they kind of sort of pump the brakes on some of this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like, I don't have any idea. I mean, Joe Biden's an 80-year-old man. I mean, what, what do you want to put an 80-year-old man with, with, with dementia in prison? I don't. I mean, I, you know, plead guilty. Do what, Joe, do what Bill Clinton did. I mean, he's not going to give the money back. I mean, there's ill-gotten gains. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. And, and I'll just ask the question. I mean, if you're a Biden defender, I mean, I, we, we can argue what Jared Kushner did or did not do with Saudi Arabia. But there is a, I mean, there, there's, a, there's an obviousness about the Trump 
uh, you know, business machine. I mean, he's won some, he's lost some. But, but it wouldn't be real hard to understand how Trump ended up wealthy or how he ended up bankrupt. I mean, there's a, there's a legitimacy to his business. Donald Trump inherited a business from his father, left Queens, went to Manhattan, succeeded uh, pretty enormously in Manhattan, and then he goes to Atlantic City and some other places. Didn't work out. There's no doubt that he fleeced the New Jersey state government uh, about, you know, the casino we built in Atlantic City. I mean, that, that, that's something he should have to explain. That is a business failure that involved taxpayer dollars. But there's legitimacy to that, right? I mean, Trump can sit before you or I and explain, yeah, we went to Atlantic City. We built this big, huge casino. We thought we could recreate in Las Vegas on the East Coast, and we lost our ass. You're like, well, yeah, but taxpayer, yeah, you're right. Taxpayer dollars were involved. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And we squandered the opportunity. We just, it didn't work. But there's legitimacy there. But if you sit down with any of the Bidens and you say, hey, tell us, explain to us how you own big houses with long driveways and how you get paid $83,000 a month to sit on the board. I mean, explain to the American people, once again, the legitimacy of your business or not, that there's no way they can defend that. They can't explain um, that away. Now, Now, I would say this, Josh. When, when Joe Biden was a senator, it was not like being the president. You know, when, when Biden gets elected president, the lights are brighter. The attention is, uh, you know, you draw attention to yourself when you're, when you're the president. But, but as long as, you know, as, as long as he could beat Trump, anything was acceptable. We'll just kind of clear the deck. Uh, we, we know some of those things, and we've known those things for a long time but we're not going to talk about him because he's the guy that we think has the best chance to beat Trump. I mean, it was that important to beat Trump. Now, now why is beating Trump that important? Well, I mean, if Trump is a man of his word, and sometimes he, he is, sometimes he's not, it's, um, it's to drain the swamp. And, and what did Trump say? What did Dave Chappelle say about Trump? He's an honest liar. I mean, he's been in the room when some of those deals were made, so Trump knows exactly how the game's played because he's played the game now on both sides. Of, of the equation. So, I mean, it would be very interesting to me to hear Donald Trump speak with, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, Pat Buchanan uh, about Washington. I mean, Trump knows how that world works, and I would never in a million years say Trump was not advantaged by being a part of politics. I mean, of course. I mean, he, he says, you know, that these people came to see me, and I wrote big checks saying, you know, that that's how kind that's kind of how I know the game or, or the way the game is played, but but Trump wrote checks that he earned. I mean, Trump had property and golf courses and and hotels. I mean, it, there was a cash flow to the business. Sometimes it's a lot of cash flow. Sometimes the cash flow struggles. Sometimes golf courses make a lot of money. Sometimes they don't make any money. Sometimes, you know, hotels make a lot of money. Sometimes they don't make much money at all. But once again, there was a legitimacy, Josh. I mean, you can kind of understand it. Okay, he wins some, he loses some, and some get rained out. Right. Explain what the Bidens do. Explain what the Bidens do to be wealthy. You can't do that. I mean, it's almost like, what is the optimal temperature of the planet Earth? I don't know. What do the Bidens do? What did the Bidens do to get wealthy? I don't know. But I think we're beginning to find out. And I think we've all suspected that this is how they got rich, and now we're beginning to find out. Now, I don't know. Um, how elaborate it'll end up being, I have no idea. If um, 
I mean, I, I believe most of these stories. I'm not saying I believe the dates and times and exact amount of money, but it wouldn't doubt me a bit in the world if Joe Biden was not operating um, in, in, in kind of peddling influence mode when he said about choking the prosecutor in Ukraine, you won't get the money unless you fire the, the prosecutor, you know, told the Ukrainian leadership. And, and I think when Trump, I mean, Trump probably knew that because Trump knows enough about that world. Trump knew where to look. I mean, you don't think Trump knows where to look for corruption? Really? So when Trump gets there, I mean, he, he knows some of that. So he calls, you know, the Ukrainian leader and says, hey, re- remember all these allegations? Re- remember Joe Biden, the uh, foreign or the, uh, the the Council on Foreign Governments, when he said, you know, SOB, the son of a gun was fired. What do you know about that? I mean, what can you tell me about that? And remember in the, uh, in the, in the recorded conversation, Trump says, how about investigate that for me? See what you can find out about that for me. And Pelosi says in her own words, not mine, that's when they knew Trump had to be impeached. That's hitting close to home. I mean, you're over the target, so to speak. So there are a lot of things here that are unsavory. I mean, there are a lot of things here that need to be explained. IRS whistleblowers, um, the FBI agents, uh, the DOJ activism. But at the end of the day, did Joe Biden receive a payment in, in, in kind, of, kind of an exchange for congressionally approved funding? I don't know the answer to that. I think I know the answer. I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is absolutely yes. Now, did the money, was the money wired in 30 different transactions to 15 different LLCs and 11 different banks. I don't know. I don't have any idea. But but Joe Biden and his family are wealthy. How? What business are they in that generates cash flow and margin that they, you know, own property all over the place and have lived pretty cool existences? What 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 does Hunter bring to the table when you pay him 83,000 a month, not a year? 83000 a month to sit on the board of an energy company. What value does Hunter Biden bring to the, I mean, Democrats know. I mean, they know that's a pay-to-play. That's a quid pro quo. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Want to thank all of our callers and participants for um uh, kind of getting into the week a little better than we than we normally do. I don't keep up on the weekends like I probably should. I mean, I kind of decompress. It's um, it's fun to watch football and racing and watch a little open championship golf. And um, this is kind of, um, I just get away from it for, for a couple of days. But back to the grind, and thanks to you for um, participating on this Monday morning. Fox News Radio's Jeff Manasso is with us. Good morning, sir. How are you? I am doing well. Good morning. So am I reading this right? The Biden administration... Um, obviously have these ambitious goals about zero emissions, but are, are they, are they demanding 26 federal agencies by 9,500 EVs or are they requesting that Jeff? Well, this is under the Biden administration's electric vehicle mandates. And it's not just federal agencies. Now we've seen the department of justice, uh, the, the DOD department of defense, uh, and, and other agencies buying up electric vehicles, uh, city buses. Uh, cities are getting grants for uh, for city buses uh, to, to to purchase uh, to to uh, to lead to the Biden administration's electric uh, vehicle goals and, and mandates. But uh, on this this acquisition that you mentioned, the 26 federal agencies, 
and these 9,500 EVs in this 2023 budget, uh, there may be an issue, according to the Government Accountability Office, that cites supply issues and higher costs with uh, the government's plans estimated to, to cost $470 million. That's almost $200 million more than if they would have just bought comparable gas-powered vehicles. But there's also an additional $300 million in estimated costs to design and install charging infrastructure for these government-owned EVs. So you're talking about a half billion dollars more just for these federal agencies to purchase uh, these electric vehicles. And Jeff, these are ZEV, zero emission vehicles. Uh, I would imagine that's a little bit different than a normal EV. Um, I just, I, you, you know, I, I, I don't know where they get to zero emissions <laughs> because of the, the, you know, the, the mining process, the manufacturing process of EVs. Some would even say that electric vehicles are dirtier than gas combustion, but that's for another day. Uh, President Biden continues to say that this is these the electric vehicle mandates will save the planet, save consumers money and create jobs, though his critics say the opposite. Former President Donald Trump last week promising to roll back the Biden administration's electric vehicle policies that uh, that Trump says is waging war on the U.S. auto industry and auto workers, which obviously means uncertainty. Uh, in, in the future, uh, from from administration to administration for the, the auto industry, for consumers. Uh, but as polls show, the majority of U.S. consumers really still are not yet sold at all on the viability of an all-electric all future. Very well explained. Jeff, thanks for your time. Have a great day, sir. You too. You know, I, I was thinking about this, um, Josh, and, and I wonder what, you talk about bold, and, and we, we talked a lot about this morning about inclusive and uh, diverse and all these other sorts of things. I just wonder if there's a way the Republicans can argue how nonsensical the absoluteness of climate change is with the, uh, is, is there, is there a, is there a pragmatic way to position your party in regards to climate change and renewable energy? I mean, and it, it's, it's almost like, I mean, it, when you read some of these things, Jeff, talk, I mean, I've read this, um, I'll read it verbatim. The federal government is planning to spend $770 million on zero emission vehicles. I mean, that's, that's not true. I mean, they're not zero emission. Somebody charges these vehicles. The, the charging is normally uh, power generated by some fossil fuel burnt. Uh, I mean, it's, some of it's renewable, no doubt, nuclear, wind, solar. I mean, I get all that. But, but we still have a large share of our electric, electric grid being powered by fossil fuel. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So it's not zero emission. I mean, that's absurd. But anyway, um, they're, they're basically these 23, uh, 29 government agencies, they spend about, they're, they're, they're asking them to spend about $470 million, which is $200 million more than if they bought um, comparable internal combustion engines, and then they're going to spend another $300 million on these 8,500 charging stations, um, providing they have the funding um, to do that. So you're talking about nearly a, uh, a billion dollars. I mean, you're talking about pretty close to a billion dollars on just, you know, um, a fleet, just to increase the fleet in these, in these 26 government agencies. But I just wonder if there is a way. I mean, if I were working with the RNC, 
or working with the Trump campaign or the Sanders campaign or this, you know, Ramaswamy seems to be the boldest of all. I mean, he is really and truly, he articulates a bold view, a bold vision for America first and kind of the anti, uh, anti-establishment rhetoric. Uh, he probably adds a little more, I mean, I know he adds more intensity, but, but he adds a little more intellectual underpinning than about anybody I've heard. But I just wonder, uh, because we've kind of, I say we, those of us who are very skeptical of the science, and I'm skeptical. I'm not a denier by any stretch. I mean, I'm willing to listen and learn and, and debate. I mean, I think there are a lot of things that we need to be interested, curious about, and debate when it comes to the climate. But I just wonder, when I think about these independents in 28 counties who didn't vote for Trump last time, who we desperately need to vote for Trump this time, I just wonder if there's not a way to portray the the the, the clean energy crowd as extremist, the electric vehicle crowd as extremists. I mean, is there a way, Josh, to say, look, on the issue of man-made climate change, it's a moving target. We don't know. The absurdity of these people who say that they're sure they know, and these are exactly the things we need to do to make sure this doesn't happen or that doesn't happen. I mean, I don't have any, I'm not an independent voter, so I don't know how that would, would fly. I mean, I, I'm very comfortable saying I am highly skeptical of the science, unbelievably skeptical. I think the science is, is, you know, I think it's, um, it's propaganda. I mean, it's funded by certain organizations who want the narrative to be a certain way. And they're not interested in in a debate about the truth or debate about what we need to eventually do. But I think you've got to lead by convincing independents in America that energy is something that will define your kids and grandkids future, how we produce energy, how much energy we're able to produce We'll, we'll decide what our power bills will be, what, what it costs to rather charge. I mean, if we, if we convert to electric vehicles more and more and more over time, you know, what does it cost to charge one of those? What does a replacement batteries cost? Where do we mine the lithium and some of the, um, you know, some of the minerals necessary to go there? I, I, just, I just don't think we've ever, I mean, it's got to be more than drill, baby, drill. I mean, that, that's, that's elementary. I mean, we, we can do better. There are smart people in our party that could do much better than drill, baby, drill. I mean, that, I get that, you know, that's, um, I mean, that rallies the troops and that's a hell yeah, you know, in the back row and all that. But I mean, energy is a lot more complicated than that. And, and we've given, it's almost like we've conceded the, the serious debate about energy to the, um, to the leftist. And, and I think the, I mean, I think the right has solid ground when it comes to, the skepticism we have of renewable energy and the, the evolution from an internal combustion engine to a, you know, an electric vehicle from a coal fired power plant to a, you know, a wind turbine or a hydropower. Uh, I, I just think you can accept and respect the thought of an evolution, the thought of a transition, but, but say, you know, the, the, the insanity that we're going to get there in eight years, the absurdity of that, I just, it's, you know, they're, they're saying the science is settled and we're saying drill, baby, drill. And I think the independent voters go, the science isn't settled. And, and, and certainly you can do better than drill, baby, drill. And, and I think John Kerry and Al Gore have sold their soul and their party's soul to this misnomer that, you know, in five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years, we can transition one from one energy mode of transportation uh, into another. And I just think there's a lot of, independent voters 
that could be convinced that energy is the defining issue of this political election and who has the best idea. Well, it's like you said before, it's basically become fanaticism or like its own leftist religion where I'm willing to accept, you know, if if you can show me the science of what the optimal temperature of the earth should be and how we can fix it, I'm open to that. But this it's like you said, this idea that we're going to get there in even our own lifetime, it's crazy. And on top of that, they're acting like every other country in the world is on the same page about this and America is the one holding us back. China and India are seasoning their rivers with waste and stuff like what and and we're you know even though we're a big superpower we only make up landwise a semi-small p- a portion of the earth's surface well i mean in india and china is three billion people exactly you know we're 335 ish million um so they've got 10 times as many people as we do i mean the it's an emergent economy especially in our, in india i mean i understand it's unique and different and and i want to go back to something you said because i think this is where you need to land I am all ears. I mean, I, I, I want to hear from reasonable people about things that can be done to make our economy more efficient. I don't like depending on Saudi Arabia for oil. I don't like depending on Russia, you know, because they, they control some of the margins in the, uh, in the global marketplace of energy. I mean, I don't like that. So I'm all ears about, you know, understanding how can we produce our own energy and and employ people and power our economy and and be friendly to the environment. I mean, I have no interest in destroying uh, the environment, but 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 we're not having that debate. The science is settled. Drill, baby, drill. And I think both are insane. I mean, I think the science is settled is absurd. I mean, the science is never settled. I mean, science is a, is a perpetual evolution. I mean, we're always finding out more, learning more, understanding things better. And I think energy is no different. So, so I'm more than willing to, to accept. And I don't, I, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't need to be in the room when the 50 or 60 or 100 people or maybe 1,000 people that, that have a lot to offer to that debate. I mean, I'm not one, but, but there are people who, who can better understand some of the rationale and reasoning of how to better power our economy and be friendly out of the climate, but, but you've, you know, we, 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 we blew past man-made climate change. I mean, to your point, it became a religion, you know, not just the climate's changing, but man-made climate change. And then we shifted gears and said, and here's what we need to do to fix it. And anybody who had a contrarian view or, or a, you know, it's a cynical point to your, to, to use your word that they were excluded from the debate, but that, that they were ostracized, get them out of here. I mean, we've made our minds up that this is, um, and I just believe there are a lot of independents. I mean, we talk about these 28 counties that, that you know, Trump won in 16, didn't win in, uh, in 20. I, nothing about Trump has changed, right? Same personality. Um, I think the, the one advantage Trump has, and, I, and I'm basing this on the inevitability or not, that it's going to be Trump and, and excuse me, Trump and, and Biden. But there was some beauty in the Biden camp letting Trump be Trump, right? I mean, do we admit that? I mean, I'm a Trump fan. You're a Trump fan. But I admit that Trump cuts both ways. I mean, I'm not naive to that. Um, In fact, I I knew when it cut both ways, when he would say things, and I'd go like, I didn't help him, you know, or he'd do something. I didn't help him. 
I mean, it, it, it rallied those 10,000 people in that arena. I mean, they thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I knew out there, you know, it was probably to his detriment. Um, but he's not going to stop doing that. The, the only thing that he's got going his way, I mean, if he's the nominee in 24 and Biden's the nominee in 24, is let Biden be Biden. Because I think Biden has demonstrated consistently uh, a certain incoherence. It's not going to convince Democrats to vote for Trump, but it could help. You know, Republicans could, excuse me, independents in these 28 counties could say, damn, Trump drives me crazy, but Biden scares me. I mean, Biden's incoherence, Biden's, Biden's apparent cognitive decline is worse than I imagine it was. And I'm kind of weighing Trump's big mouth and narcissism and bombast versus Biden's incoherence. And as much as I don't like narcissism, as, as much as I don't like a guy that does some of the things Trump does and talks about himself all the time, I think he has a grasp of the issues. I think he has a genuine understanding of, you know, what, it, what, 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 what we're talking about today and uh, what, what some of the priorities of the country are. I think he gained some favor there. And I think that's kind of a counterbalance to let Trump be Trump, let Biden be Biden. Now, neither neither benefits from let Trump be Trump and let Biden be Biden. I mean, letting Biden be Biden is bad for Biden. Letting Trump be Trump, I think, personally for independent voters, is bad for Trump. But I think if 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 the Trump if the Trump nomination is as inevitable as I think it is, crafting a message around climate change and energy, because the 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 Democrats, to your point, Josh, I mean, they sold their soul. I mean, it's, you know, the, the world is, is burning. If we don't do uh, just very drastic measures, you know, we'll, ex- I mean, human beings will be extinct. I mean, they've said publicly there will be certain states in America uninhabitable. And, you know, that, that's pretty out there as far as I'm concerned. But, but I just think if the, if the Republican Party said, look, the climate is changing. And I'm not talking about the weather. I mean, the climate is changing. We have no idea how much man is contributing. Let's go find out. But let's put reasonable people in a room, not motivated by some financial gain. Is Exxon paying them to say X? Is is Chevron paying them to say Y? Is the Chinese green energy lobby, you know, they make all the solar panels and and, and wind turbines. Are they sending lobbyists to Washington to say X, Y, or Z? How, um, How corrupt did his academia become? You know, how many grants have been given? Uh, what was kind of, uh, kind of a preconceived notion? I, I, let's, let's have an honest debate. I, I just think independents would, would buy that. And, you know, a lot of people, well, you know, independents aren't Republicans. No, but I mean, they, they're, they're going to win or lose the election for you. I mean, there, there's not enough Republicans with zero independents. There's not enough Democrats with zero independents to win uh, an election in electoral college. And, I mean, if you've got a couple of hundred thousand independents in Pennsylvania, you got a couple of hundred thousand in Wisconsin, uh, you got 175 or 80,000 in, I mean, you've got big numbers. I mean, you're talking about a million people that could be swayed one way or another in these four or five states. Georgia, what would be a state? Virginia, I think, would uh, would kind of listen to that. And I, I just think that's, you convince the electorate that energy is the issue. You convince them you've got a better plan and agenda uh, when it comes to energy, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of moments.
Picks Mondays to make Friday. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. We have Pat calling from Florence. Pat, you are on the air. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Josh said something a few minutes ago that got me thinking that uh, the other countries um, are not on board with us, and uh, that's exactly right. And made me think about the ozone layer. You know, I about forgot we had an ozone layer, but back in the 80s, over 30 countries got together and signed that Montreal Protocol thing. Uh, did we fix the ozone layer? I don't know, but I hadn't heard about it in a long time. So that's a good point. And one other thing is um, Mr. Philip Lowe has been trying to tell us um, on Friday mornings to just leave Mr. Joe Biden alone, and he's going to take care of himself. Anyway, have a good week, guys. Enjoy the show. Talk to you later. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah, I thought of Philip over the weekend and, and and once again, I didn't read a story that, that kind of convinced me that this is the way it looks to be um, headed. It just seems to me that Democrats are not as interested in defending Biden and censoring some of these storylines as they were. And and I think it's interesting when the when the numbers start moving. I'm not talking about poll numbers. I mean, you, you can find a poll to say whatever you want it to say. That there's a couple of polls out I meant to talk about this morning. We hadn't got to yet. But, uh, you know, in South Carolina and in Iowa, Trump is just in command. I mean, there's no doubt about it. In, uh, in Iowa, Trump's at 46, DeSantis 16, Scott 11, everybody else in single figures. In South Carolina, Trump 48, Haley 14, DeSantis 13, Scott 10, everybody else in single figures. Uh, former Vice President Mike Pence is going to have a hard time making the debate stage. Um, so, so the polling is what the polling is, and there's nothing changed about Biden's polling numbers. He's still 65-ish, thereabout. I mean, he's still two of three Republicans would rather have him than anybody else. But but the betting lines are moving. And once again, um, you know, the, the betting line matters to me more than the polling because the betting line is not there to uh, enhance some person winning or not or, you know, or – or to the detriment of another candidate. In other words, you need a poll to make DeSantis look good. Well, I mean, there's a way to go find one. You need a poll to make Trump look bad. There's a way to go find one. You need a poll to show um, Haley surging or, or Scott surging. I mean, there, there's a way to to doctor the numbers and spin the numbers to make it look like. But but the wise guys, I mean, they bet from the head, not the heart. I mean, it's all about the uh, the Doray me, so to speak. And last week, I think it might have been Tuesday of last week. The real clear politic betting average had Trump more likely to win the Republican primary than Biden winning the Democrat primary, but it was not because they thought, you know, Kennedy was gaining support or Harris or, or Gavin Newsom. It, it seems to me that they just question whether or not Biden can get to November of 2024 in good standing. And I guess when, when you start leaking oil, when you start spilling a little blood, the short circle, and it looks to me like the Democrats are just not as interested in defending everything about Biden as they were a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago. And I don't know if it's a culmination of all these stories. I don't have any idea. I'm not a Democrat. I don't. I don't run that organization, DNC. Uh, you know, the the Democrat senatorial. I don't. I don't have any idea what they base their judgments on. But but something tells me from having been in politics that Biden's leaking more oil than they thought. Biden has spilled a little more blood than they're comfortable with. And if he can't make it to the finish line, 
then we'll find a replacement, and we'd rather do that now than wait till early of 2024. Let's go to the phone. We have Charles calling from Florence. Charles, you are on the air. Morning, guys. Just a quick opinion from you, Ken. If Trump could somehow tone it back a little bit, as they all say, to cater a little more towards the independents and those people who do not like his personality, do you think he would lose any of his hardcore supporters? I personally don't think so, because I think people like me, we're going to vote for him no matter what. But the question is, would would he lose any if he would pivot a little bit to try to soften the tone? Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Charles. No. I mean, he doesn't lose anybody. That's that's what we don't under, understand. I mean, there's always a give and take. And if you soften here, you, you lose some of the hard sport there. Trump doesn't lose anybody. I mean, if Trump if if Trump tweaks just a little bit to 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 gain the support of independents, he doesn't lose his core. I mean, he doesn't lose his army. His army's more committed to him than any army ever has been in American politics. It's not a base, but rather a following. Some call it a cult. I don't think it's a cult, but it's a loyal, intense following, no doubt. But but you know, in in politics, you got to be careful. Okay, when I tweak, I gain, but do I lose? And if I gain 1%, lose a half percent, then I need to do that. I mean, politics is about math. Losers don't make rules. I mean, losers don't get to uh, pick the EPA director or the you know, Secretary of Commerce. I mean, the, the winners get to do that. And, and that's, what the, that, that's what I struggle with so much. I mean, that's what frustrates me to such a big degree. I mean, I've run for office before. And I know there are times that, that you got to say, not disingenuous, but you got to tone it down a bit, be less aggressive in saying these things and a little more aggressive in saying some of these other things. But 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 Trump has his base. I mean, they, they're with him. I mean, they, they're not going anywhere. It's 31, 2 percent of Americans. Um, but, but, you know, in the Republican primary, it's 50 percent. It's probably a little higher than that. It's probably 53 or, or 4 or 5 percent. But, I mean, he's got 33 percent of America that uh, they're with him. I mean, they're, they're with him through thick or thin. And, and all he's got to do is, uh, to the caller's point, just tone it down a bit. Just, just every now and then, when you think about saying something, don't. And, and when you, you know, when somebody advises you to adopt a little more, I don't want to say moderate stance, but, but just be a little more respectful of your surroundings is all he's got to do. And the advantage Donald Trump has, you know, that, that most Republican office holders don't. I mean, Trump is malleable. Trump doesn't have an ideological core. I mean, Trump is a pro-business deregulating Republican who's voted Democrat about half his life. I mean, do you really believe that, Josh, I'll ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you really believe that Donald Trump is is, is heavily invested in gay marriage or, mm-hmm. or abortion? No, no I mean, I, no, I, mean I, I think he has an opinion, but, but it's not something he's going to, you know, invest a lot of his time, energy, and effort in. But but deregulation, he understands it. The business economy, he understands it. Um, he he believes that you know a um, a less intrusive government on the private sector are going to lead to a better economy. Uh, I think he believes in energy independence. But those aren't ideological. I mean, that, th- those are very practical things. And and to the caller's point, that's my frustration. I mean, I, if, if if Trump sat across from me and said, "Hey, man, I get it," but but if I if I give up some here, excuse me, if I do something to gain here. Odds are I'm losing there. That there is no downside to him trying to attract more independence. There is zero downside 
And, and that's what frustrates. He is the unique political animal in America today that, that if he were to tone it down a bit, there's no danger of him losing the base. But there's a much better chance that he attracts independent. And I get there are a lot of Republicans out there who don't like the idea of having to have independence. I mean, I understand it. I wish the world wasn't like that. I mean, I, you know, in, in, in the craziest way imaginable, uh, if, if we've got a duopoly, I wish everybody had to be one or the other. But, but that's not where we are. A lot of people in America today like calling themselves independents. And they like making decisions based on not what the, um, what the party's orthodoxies are, what, what the creed is, what the platform or agenda issues are. They like to declare themselves independent, and they don't find Trump likable. I want to push back a little bit. Okay. So I get where you and Pat are coming from, but what I saw after Trump became president was he, you know, he had, he has his base. He has his base that is not going to vote for anyone else, but he tried to appease, you know, minorities. He tried to appease blacks and Mexicans so that they would vote for him in 2020 and it didn't work. And that's something I've been hearing Republicans say is that like Hispanics are secretly conservative because they're very Catholic and stuff. But the voting numbers just don't show that. And I get that's different than independence. But but you're basing that on, okay, historically that's the case. Mm-hmm. But because people are interested in the po- what is your policy on energy? What is your policy on immigration? What is your policy on taxes? Trump is not a policy president. He's a personality president. People vote for and against Trump not based on his policies or political persuasions, but rather his personality. And he's got this bombastic personality. And I think bombastic is okay when it becomes so much about himself and it centers on narcissism. That turns people off. So historically, I think you're on it, Josh. I think historically, the policy of immigration, you know, independence, the policy on taxes, independence, the policy on whatever. I mean, I think independents want to know where you stand on these issues. But independents can't get there with Trump because of the personality. That they have, they have, they have pre-formulated. If that's a word, they pre-formulated this opinion they have of Trump. And I think if Trump, if Trump were to show a little bit of humility, a little bit of um, this isn't about me, but rather the country, he does that occasionally. And I think that's when he's at his best. I think Trump's at his best when he says, "This is not about me. I mean, this is about America and, and our future and our kids' future and our grandkids' future." But but then the next, you know, the next breath, it's you know, Trump, 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 Trump. So, so, so I would totally agree with you in normal political scenarios featuring normal political actors, the, the, the policy is what drives you to believe in this candidate or that. I mean, obviously you got to like the guy, but there's a reason Ramaswamy and Tim Scott have done fairly well. People like them, but I mean, they like them for different reasons, but they find them relatable and likable. People find Trump relatable, but but he has a problem with likability. I mean, every poll I've ever seen. I mean, even polls that that, that say, "Hey, his um." Well, I'll give you an example. Let's um, let's go to Trump's favorables right now. I, I can do this in in two seconds. Um, we just talked about how he's leading in. I mean, he's leading in Iowa. He's leading in New Hampshire. He's leading in South Carolina by wide margins. But in twenty twenty in July of twenty twenty two. His favorability among Republicans and Republican-leaning independents 
Republican-leaning independents went from 75% to 66%. I mean, that's a Pew poll. I mean, Pew's not perfect, but they're not. I mean, they're not in the tank. I mean, they're, they're not Monmouth or Quinnipiac or, or, or Rasmussen, you know, on either side of the equation. Pew does a pretty good job of calling it like, like they see it. Um, so, so, you know, that's just his favorabilities. Same policy. I mean, I've got many friends in my world that say, if you took Donald Trump's agenda and his accomplishments at president and wrote them down on a sheet of paper and didn't include anything he has to say, I would be for him. But, but then he starts talking and it's in a, a very narcissistic, self-centered, um, lacking humility kind of way and people to get real turned off by that. And, and I just think, uh, remember Thursday when we talked to Drew McKissick about this is not an election about policy, but rather strategy. And I think part of the strategy is personality. And I think if Trump is the nominee, that there's his personality is going to be a big part of this, right? I mean, we're talking about Biden. Well, what is the biggest concern people have with Biden? Is he able to do the job? I mean, is he, is he cognitively equipped? Is he, is, he, is he coherent enough to do the job? Nobody worries about Biden's policy. I mean, you know, he's not driving that train anywhere. That's kind of the Obama uh, leftovers. You know, in, 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 in all honesty, it's the perfect scenario. You got a feeble old man who's been around forever and, you know, forever's wanted to be president. He and his wife are as happy as they can be just to be at the White House, and they're not paying attention to policy. Biden's never been ideologically driven anyway. He's been a, kind of a, um, he's been a political hustler, and, and he's not very smart. And, you know, that, that's the crux of who he is. Trump is a much more complicated figure because there's a kind of a resume and body of work outside politics, in business, in entertainment. I mean, Trump hosts, what was the, the Apprentice? I mean, it was a highly rated TV show for a decade, and that's part of his persona. And, and I just think if he were to tone it down two degrees, <laughs> I'm not saying go from, from, from 150 to 75. I'm saying go from 150 to 130. I, I just think he makes independence more comfortable with him being president and the likelihood of him winning increases exponentially. And at the end of the day, if he's the nominee, and I want him to be, I want Trump to be our nominee, but I want him to win. And what gives him the best chance to win, because it's not a campaign about policy, I mean, it doesn't matter what put Trump's policies are. His personality is going to override that. I mean, you would agree to that. I mean, it doesn't matter. Trump could list out 10 policy items, you know, initiatives. This is my platform. This is my contract with America. But people are going to listen to how he says it more than what he says. He's just that dude. I mean, that's who he is. And you're not going to change that. And I love when people say, man, if he would only change. Well, okay. If he would only change. If the ocean would only dry up. If the sun would only go out, I mean, he is who he is, but, but there, there, there are certain little tweaks that, that, I think he, that I think he could do and would make the likelihood of him winning in November, 2024, much, much better. Not giving up on his agenda, not selling his soul, not making a deal with the devil, but rather just tone it down a little bit. Independence would be more inclined uh, to cast a ballot in your favor. And who wins? The person who gets the most votes. Take a break. Back in just a few. Okay, we're going to do some trivia without the Royal Rev. Rev's not here. His mom um, had a situation. In other words, he had to leave Friday 
to take care of his mom. Uh, some of you know the situation with his mom. Um, she's been sick for a couple of years now. Uh, something happened Friday. Rev had to go down uh, to make sure he's there. I'll let him tear, share as much of that as he chooses. I don't know if he'll be back tomorrow or not. I honestly don't know when he's back. I, you know, I don't run the company as far as I'm concerned. He's got permission to do whatever needs to be done in relation to um to taking care of his mom. But Josh and I will do the best we can uh, to do our Takes Mondays to Make Fridays trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. Correct answer wins a six-pack of Pepsi product. couple of Takes Mondays to Make Fridays t-shirt. You ready? Talk a lot ready. about polling. Talk about um, Iowa, uh, New Hampshire, South Carolina. Who is considered the father or pioneer, original pioneer of American political polling? I mean, there's no official designation, but this person is generally considered to be the original pioneer or the father of American political surveying sampling, polling, whatever you choose um, to call it. 843-661-0937. What is the first and last name? Do we have a call, Josh? We do. Okay. You're, you're on the air, sir. I think it's William F. Buckley. Nope, not Buckley. He was a great thought leader in the conservative movement. This guy was the original pioneer slash father of American political polling and he's never been officially designated that but but in the in the uh in the world of politics he's kind of known as that you're on the air go go ahead george gallup yep you're right george gallup is known as the pioneer or father of american political polling who is this where you calling from there's robin of florence okay my man hang on just a couple of minutes there we'll get you back to josh he'll get all your uh relevant information we'll get you a six-pack of pepsi product couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's um, T-shirt. George Gallup, um, I think it was the 1948 Truman election. Uh, remember when they held the ticket, you know, Dewey beats Truman and uh, not so fast. But uh, Chicago Daily Tribune, if I'm not mistaken, Dewey defeats Truman. Um, Gallup did more than anybody to put polling on solid ground, and that's really where – so that that election is where polling became kind of kind of a central thing. I mean, we polled for longer than that, but um, but George Gallup in that 1948 presidential election um had a lot to say, and his polling was taken seriously. And when Dewey had the lead, and some of the polling that Gallup had done supported, uh, Chicago Daily Tribune uh, went ahead with the article Dewey beats or what with the headline. Um, Dewey beats Truman, but yeah, he's known as um, the pioneer or father of American political polling. Uh, in the polling, uh, Fox Business poll, not Gallup, but Fox Business poll, Trump's at 46 in Iowa. He's at 48 in South Carolina. DeSantis is at 16. Tim Scott is at 11 and 10, respectfully. Uh, Haley's at 14 in South Carolina, less than 10. And uh, in, I mean, it just it, it's Trump. I mean, and once again, I don't have any idea. Is there a trial? You know, is, is, is there going to be some sensational claim made by the prosecution in one of these trials that Trump will be involved in? Can you be president from prison? I mean, do you have to live in the, have to live in the White House and, and work in the Oval? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have any answer to that question. But um, 
but but Trump, all I know is at 46 in Iowa, at 48 in South Carolina, those are big numbers. I mean, that, you know, you got indictments, you got all these hearings, you got all these questions that have been left unanswered. You know, the, the voters in the Republican primary thus far are sticking with Donald Trump. Enjoy your Monday. We'll talk tomorrow.